and or review Wakanda Forever box office report and a huge MCU phase four draft the direct podcast episode 121 let's get it truth is i am a jedi i'm the vengeance and i am iron man ladies and gentlemen welcome in welcome on and welcome to the direct podcast episode 121 everything you need to know about the universe's you love i am your host the rebel with a pod matt rimke joined as always by my friend my co-host teacher our box office correspondent mr david thompson david how we doing great weekend yeah. it's jeff saturday guy i like him i like him a lot i mean he's got the boys butt. i missed him yeah i missed him but yeah i'm doing well I, I came off a huge trip i was just in california visiting a friend who went to the niners game um, we went to San Francisco, Golden Gate Bridge, um, Alcatraz, all that good stuff. I am still kind of like, uh, I got the, the, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't catch up on time. Um, Not yeah. sure. What, I wish yeah, I could help whatever, you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that word is, uh, basically, I, I, my, I catch up on sleep. Um, it's jet weird lag. going jet lag. Thank you. I got jet lag. Um, I'm, it's weird going from, east coast west coast adjusting then right back to east coast and now adjusting again at all it just doesn't make any sense um but it was good it was a great weekend um and yeah i can't really talk about the other big thing about this weekend was the wakanda forever box office so uh very excited to be here matt how are you doing today moving right through man we we are ending near near ending Andor, which is a crazy concept because i think like we just started in, in a way yeah, no, Andor's, I'm going to be really sad to see it go. We'll talk more about that in a review. And then next week, our finale review. Big Star Wars episode next week with the Andor finale and also our Star Wars rankings with Jack Pews. Not sure exactly how we're going to do that yet, but I'm excited to find out. Um, no, it's been a good weekend. You know, nobody really cares what I'm doing. All we care about is the Wakanda Forever box office report. So let's dive right into that right now. The Wakanda Forever box office report. Asleep for the danger, awake for the money, as per freaking usual. Okay, welcome into the box office report. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, is a big one. Um, Wakanda Forever has been circled, pinned on every box office analyst all year, especially because the first one opened at $202 million. It ended around $700 million domestically, which is one of the best domestic runs ever at the box office. Wakanda Forever didn't quite do that um, yet, at least. So Wakanda Forever opened at 181 million, which is a slight increase from what they estimated on Sunday. But you know, it, they had it at 180. It's it's 181, so that's great. Um, but it was still very close. So Sunday did a little better than they expected. Um, now I had it personally higher. I predicted 198. I thought it was going to do a little bit better. I thought it was going to do better than Doctor Strange. Um, the pre-sale tickets weren't as good for Wakanda Forever. But I thought the Veterans Day weekend, word of mouth, would maybe lead to it. Now, there's always a lot of variables with the box office. I think one thing with this movie could be the runtime. It is a very long movie. Um, and that could maybe deter people or deter people from seeing it again in a weekend. Where, you know, like the No Way Homes of the world, because that movie is so good, people want to see it Thursday and Saturday and maybe Sunday again, right? Um, stuff like that. So, 181 is a, an incredibly strong performance. 
Um, so I opened, I wanted to open with saying how it, what didn't quite reach my expectations, didn't quite meet, uh, reach, excuse me, the heights of the first one opening weekend. However, it is an awesome performance. Like 181 is proving once again how Marvel just owns the box office. Like Marvel Studios just can roll anything out there. And Wakanda Forever is a big one. This Wakanda Forever is not anything, quote unquote, but they have set up their brand so well. They have multiple franchises that you know for a fact they are going to be a big hit just by releasing them. They could be terrible. You know, they could be divisive. Just because of their brand and the franchise that they've built and the actors they put in place in these franchises, they've been set up so well. So yeah, 181 is a very strong start. They have a lot of room um, here until Avatar to keep making money. They're already at internationally, uh, and it, it probably won't open in China. But at this point, if it opens, in, if anything opens in China, um, in terms of big blockbusters, that's a huge win. And it probably won't do as well as it did uh, in previous years. Like the Batman opened up in China, um, but it wasn't as wide of a release. It wasn't marketed as like, say, a movie like Infinity War, Endgame. Um, you know, I think the first Venom movie did amazing in China, stuff like that. They're making their own blockbusters over there now, but internationally, so globally as the total, it has now made $331 million globally. Um, so it's already, you know, will it reach a billion, right? That's now suddenly the question moving on to week two, week three, week four, like, could it reach a billion? Something Dr. Strange did not. I'm leaning towards maybe. Because I think this movie is being well, more well regarded than Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange kind of saw that incredible start, still made just less than a billion dollars. It did phenomenal at the box office, but it it, it went down rather quickly. Like it, it kind of shot down pretty quick. And I could see Black Panther playing through the end, you know, this next couple of weeks of November, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit into December. Um, I think a lot of people will want to rally around this movie and may go see it again. The runtime will work against it, but in general, my final synopsis is it didn't reach the heights I was looking for that I kind of hoped it would hit or predicted it would. However, this is not a flounder of any sort. Like, this is just, um, I mean, 181 is a phenomenal opening, and pretty much any studio, especially looking at, say, like a DC, right? DC Studios now. Um, they would love this opening because Black Black Adam's been open for like a month now. It's generated 352 million globally. Wakanda Forever is already at 331. There you go. Um, so so that pretty much that 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 to me, those back to back is kind of showing where we're at in terms of Marvel and DC. Obviously, very different situations, but the the proof's kind of in the pudding right there. Yeah. Um, it's not really a competition right now. And we, we all knew it going in. We all knew it going in. And, and there it is. So, Matt, I went on my long box office speech. What do you think of Wakanda Forever's opening weekend? No, I think that, you know, those numbers are telling. It's definitely lower than what we expected, but we had high expectations. That's something to be considered as well. Just because it didn't hit what we expected, that's more of a failure on us as far as where we put our expectations and not so much a failure on this movie. It is 41 minutes longer than Multiverse of Madness. So that adds up. That does 
that does go against it when it comes to pure numbers at the box office. A couple reasons I think this movie's going to have good legs, and there are, there are tons of different reasons that a movie gets legs as far as, and for those who don't know, legs and the box office means how do you do the second week, the third week, you know, after your big opening weekend, how do you handle the rest of your run? I think that something going for this movie is the reception, but more importantly, the specific um reception to what I think going into the movie were some of the biggest fears. You know, I would say probably the three biggest fears people had on the whole um, going into Wakanda forever was how are they going to handle the death of Chadwick Boseman? How are they going to handle Shuri being the new black Panther? And how are they going to handle Ironheart being a part of a movie that, you know, she really has no business being a part of until you see it. Right. Um, I think that, you know, everyone's talking about how well they handled the death of Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa and, you know, just grief being the theme of this movie, how well that's handled. I think that's going to go over well for people who are on the fence. I think Shuri won a lot of people over um, in this movie and a lot of people who didn't want to like Shuri ended up, you know, objectively saying she was great in this movie. Um, and then uh, Riri Williams, we talked about it on, on our review. It was your biggest fear going in, David. And like I've said over and over, the goal was to not get in the way. I think she accomplished that and everything she gives you on top of that is just extra money. So I think, you know, with the three biggest concerns people had going in being critically rectified and, you know, if, if anyone asks, you know, so how'd they handle this, how'd they handle that? I think the three biggest questions will get good answers. So I think that has a, point with legs as far as word of mouth goes it's like that top gun thing and obviously it's not going to do what top gun did for the rest of its run but a lot of people after that first weekend went to their friends and family who saw the movie and was like is it really that good and they were like yeah it is really that good so that's why that second weekend was so big gaining numbers not losing numbers um and so hopefully we get a little bit of that with wakanda forever it 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 blows my mind how much money Multiverse of Madness made worldwide just because I, I remember the reception to that critically not being very good, but that's a much bigger movie with bigger cameos and things like that um, than this one is. So I think, Do you I think, think that's going to be yeah. our goal. I'm sorry. I think our goal is going to be where Multiverse of Madness is. I, I'm hoping it hits it. You know what I mean? I'm, I It could fall in between that and a billion, which is what, $70 million. So hopefully, hopefully we can get to that nine and go from there. I do think it will reach Doctor Strange for the sole reason of competition. Um, One thing I can't, I have to mention is that this is the first big movie in months and months and months at the box office. Theater chains right now are like, thank God, this was a lifeline for them because theaters were empty since July. I mean, they were empty. There's been, there has been very little competition um and even so like a black adam opens up no competition doesn't do that hot doesn't do that well you know for a big blockbuster movie now this movie wakanda forever had a reported budget of 250 million dollars hmm. which is an incredibly high budget yeah a quarter of a billion dollars it'll make it back uh which is awesome you know it it, it will make it back it won't this won't generate the profit that maybe some other marvel movies have made or just movies in general with the um, discrepancy yeah, exactly. Like profit margins. Um, however, you know, and just like the percentage, like that, that turnaround, you know, horror movies have the sometimes have the best, um, you know, like dollar back than you put into it. Because sometimes like I think paranormal activity costs like twenty five thousand dollars to make and it grows like a hundred thousand a hundred million dollars worldwide. Um, so 
Yeah, that's a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to mention one thing too, just like for some context for everyone out there. The first movie in China grossed $105 million. It's not going to release in China. So that that's gone. That entire market is gone. That's the second biggest market in the world. It's arguably the first biggest market, biggest market um, in the world for the box office um, is the Chinese box office market. Um, the other thing is there's only been three movies in the pandemic area era since the pandemic occurred that have reached a billion. That is No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick, and Jurassic World Dominion. Um, so will it join that? We will see. I do think this. I think this movie has a fighting chance. Like I said, it has time before Avatar to sit and breathe and word of mouth. Um, next week, I can't wait to hop on this podcast again and talk about that second weekend because it's going to be oh, a big yeah. one. Marvel Marvel has had some pretty steep drop-offs um, the last few movies, and that's okay because they've had some really big openings. Uh, like No Way Home, for instance, had a really steep drop-off, but that was because the next weekend Historic. was Christmas, <laughs> and, and the opening weekend was $260 million. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to kind of like, you know, there's context to all of this, and I'm ho- hopefully I'm able to kind of like give you all some context talking about this. So we'll see. I'm optimistic. I think it might reach a billion. I honestly, I honestly do. It depends. I think next week will be a clear indication. It's tough. It's really hard for that Chinese box office to get there, but it, it has a chance. I do. I am on the side right now where it opened at 6 million less than Dr. Strange. I do have faith. It will gross more just because of the quality and the competition. There was a lot more competition around Doctor Strange. Top Gun opened Top Gun a Maverick. couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of that that ended it. <laughs> that was that was it. It was over. And we kind of have a similar-ish situation with Avatar, but there's still, I think, five or six weeks it kind of gets like roam on its own and soak up all that box office goodness. So we'll see. We'll be checking back in, keeping an eye on it. The billion dollar watch is on though for this one. Absolutely, and we're very excited. We will keep you posted next week when we dive into the second weekend numbers. But for right now, let's stay with Black Panther Wakanda Forever, David, our official ranking segment. Um, Please go back, listen to our Black Panther Wakanda Forever review. We reviewed the entire movie, um, its biggest players, um, and everything we thought about it, both positively and negatively. But at the very end, we did give a short ranking segment. So this is our official check-in. We'll be known moving forward as our ranking of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. First and foremost, David, I want to ask you, within Phase 4, where does this rank with the other phase four movies for you? Obviously, No Way Home um, is probably going to be your number one. But where does it fall after that within phase four? And also, are there any series that would get ahead of this on an overall list for you? Great. Great. Two questions. Um, the first one is, yes, No Way Home is my number one MCU movie in general. So there's no probably about it. <laughs> it's just it's locked in for me as my number one on the MCU list. Um, and. In regards to where it lands within Phase 4, No Way Home, we got Shang-Chi. After some reflection and a weekend, uh, I now have Wakanda Forever after Shang-Chi. Then Thor Love and Thunder. Then Multiverse of Madness. Um, then Eternals. And then Black Widow. So Black Widow's um, at the end for me. I enjoy Eternals more. I thought, I thought Eternals was good. It's, uh, not, and it's, I, it's and not Black Widow's worse. It's an Eternals better kind of thing. Exactly. Um, and Black Widow to me was just, besides the characters, super forgettable. Sure. Um, like Yelena's the shining star, Red Guardian's good, but just kind of a, and, and that movie, 
I don't know. I, I hate to kind of add that to it, but it was just like a weird time for it to be released. I mean, it was exciting, but at the same Two-year time, it wasn't really, run. <laughs> yeah, it was just, uh, and, and it hasn't really aged well for me. I, yeah. I don't see myself wanting to go back to it. Um, however, I'm very much so anticipated in going to see Wakanda forever again. Um, for some context on my list, I mentioned No Way Home is number one. This is my movie only list for the MCU. Um, I have Shang-Chi 15, Wakanda Forever 16. Um, okay. So those are kind of where the phase four movies begin for me. And then Guardians 2, Thor Love and Thunder 18, Multiverse of Madness 19. Anyway, um, so that's where it is there. Um, so going over to now where shows kind of seep in. Well, so yeah, I, I mean, mentioned- yeah, just are there any shows that peak over Wakanda Forever for you at that three spot in uh, phase four? No, uh, the I have Loki right behind it. Okay. So no, I have Wakanda Forever is better than every single Marvel phase. Yeah, every single Marvel um show series. Yeah, love yeah, it series. Yeah, no, I think I I I mean I wasn't rooting for you to put it above Love and Thunder by any means. You know, obviously those are two couldn't be more opposite movies. One of them is a comedy. One of them is an emotional roller coaster. Um, but um, it's good it's good to see it there. I uh. I have a very similar ranking um, within my phase four movies. I have No Way Home at number one, Wakanda Forever at number two, and then Shang-Chi at number three. Um, so I have Wakanda Forever just above Shang-Chi. You know what I mean? I'm a rewatch away from flipping that back. You know what I mean? It just depends. It's It, it comes down to the final act for me. It's a CGI uh, dragon fight versus a CGI boat fight. And I think the boat fight just had a little more um, engaging content right. involved. Um, but, um, those three, no way home, Wakanda forever, Shang-Chi, a huge tier for me, as far as phase four movie goes, big drop, um, until we get to love and thunder, multiverse of madness, black widow and eternals. And for reference between, if I were ranking all projects in phase four between Shang-Chi and Thor, love and thunder, I would have Hawkeye, Loki, werewolf by night, Miss Marvel, Falcon, winter soldier, and She-Hulk all in between those two movies. So, it's it's a very top heavy uh, phase for me when it comes to movies specifically. I think the shows add a lot to it, obviously. Um, and uh, WandaVision, the only show I have above Wakanda Forever. I think that is elite MCU content. Um, but if I'm being honest, um, Wakanda Forever, uh, Shang Chi, and then Hawkeye right behind Shang Chi. I, I I need to rewatch it, but I think that could get into the conversation as well. Um, and then moving over to my movie only list, um, I talked about it on the review. I'm going to keep it right there. It's going to be at 12 for me. Um, Wakanda Forever comes in at 12, just behind Iron Man at 10 and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at 11 um, and just above Age of Ultron and Shang-Chi um, at 13 and 14. Always tough moving Age of Ultron further down the list. I do think it's one of yeah. the most underrated movies. But... Um, I look at similar elements between Guardians 2, Wakanda Forever, and Age of Ultron. When it comes to emotional elements, I think Guardians does it just as good. And uh, also, it's got the action and the color and more of the MCU fun that I show up for. And then Age of Ultron, I do think, does the emotion part worse, even though some other aspects of the movie might be a little better when it comes to action scenes and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the top 12 movie, huge for phase four, I think, um, landing two, uh, now three movies in my top 15, um, when it comes to 30 MCU movies. So I think that's going to be big and we'll break down, we'll break that down more as we move forward. Yeah. Rankings, they're getting more and more difficult, especially with the TV shows for me, because I, by nature, am not a TV guy as much as I am a movie guy. Just so you hate general, Andor, right? 
No. So you just hate Andor. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that means. No, no, no. I just mean in general, like when we're comparing two things together yeah. in terms of like shows and movies, um, especially like within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's hard for me to put shows higher because I guess when I think of my rankings, it's kind of a bit of rewatchability rankings too, right. which yeah. you never, I, I never have for a show. R- really? Like not I never, the same like, way. Oh, not in the same way at all, right? You can't just flick it on and, you know, and watch it for two hours. Like I was just watching No Way Home again last night. And, and like, <laughs> just, just subtly, right? I wasn't like, you know, making a big deal. I didn't even finish it. I was just like, got to a certain point. I'm like, okay, the flight's taking off. We're going to leave now. Uh, but it's just No Way Home's become a comfort movie for me. Um, and a lot of these, and, and one thing I had too that I've, I keep looking at my rankings because they're, they're a fluid living thing, these rankings. As they should be, I believe. I, mm-hmm. I think you should never feel, you know, out there if you guys have a letterbox or if you keep track of these things. Don't feel like you have to be married to anything because I never am. Um, right? Like you can kind of, you can, you can evolve. Like your your taste can evolve a little bit, and you can things normally as time goes on, they either age well or age poorly. Um, and Wakanda Forever is now aging well, and Love and Thunder is aged poorly sure. for me over time. Um, and I think for a lot of people, and I still like Love and Thunder more than most, I would argue, but it's definitely seeping down the list. Like right now, I have Love and Thunder. We're at 30 MCU movies. It's at 18. And Wakanda Forever is just on the edge at 16, almost in the, in the top half. But honestly, Matt, what's going to be interesting as we go forward on these rankings and the podcast in general is when anything, if anything cracks the top 10 for me, yeah. because my top 10 is so, my top 11 12 13 it's so solid for me right now like no way home was so special and made it to number one for me but everything else phase four in my opinion isn't even close to the top 10 on my list at least like these movies i have my top 10 even top 11 11's black panther one um like it's just they're so special and important and like perfect in their own way it's gonna for me at least it's going to really take something special. I don't think it's going to be quantum mania. I don't think it's going to be secret invasion. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know. Yeah. And and I hope, I hope it is right. I always want to be wowed. I want to be surprised. Um, but it's really going to take something because some of these movies on here are just mean a lot to me and, and are such great films within the MCU. With, with movies specifically being at the number 30. And then obviously you add in all the TV shows. If you want, you know, that top 10 becomes a coveted thing. And and it's going to be very difficult for a movie to really crack in there. And it's going the thing is, like, so many MCU movies are great. Like, like you you have to go so far down your list to find one that is less than great. So when you get into that top 10 range, as as not fun as it sounds, it's about minimizing the bad, right? Like it's these are all great. Let's let's do one of two things. We're either gonna find the negatives in these movies and compare those, or like like I said with Guardians, like similar attributes. I think Wakanda Forever and Guardians both super emotional movies. But which one does emotion better? Because I think those like that's what makes both those movies so good is the emotion that they evoke. Um, and uh, for me, I think they're like as good as each other. Guardians just has that one thing that Black Panther doesn't, and that's that fun aspect. There's the comedy. There's the colors. Um, and it makes sense that Wakanda Forever is not a fun movie. It's not supposed to be. So. I just I, I 
I love ranking these things. And I think it's such an interesting conversation. Uh, whenever you talk to somebody, if they've done their rankings, like why and how they made certain decisions. So we will keep doing that as we move along. Our next MCU rankings will be Secret Invasion, I think. Um, we uh, don't have Quantumania will be first. Okay, so Quantumania first. Um, and then, but that won't be the next time we return to the MCU. The next time we return to the MCU will be Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special in just a couple of weeks. So very excited about all of that. We will uh, have that review up when it comes out. We'll keep you posted. Um, we're going to skip news today. It's a very light news day, um, news week, I should say, with the Wakanda Forever fallout. Um, uh, James Gunn's still the head of DC. That's kind of the news <laughs> coming out of the blue <laughs> brand. And then um, our Star Wars news is actually about Andor. So we're going to save that for the review view but we would be remiss if we did not shout out the passing of a legend um arguably one of the greatest or the greatest um voice actors of all time definitely the most prolific comic book voice actor ever um and that is kevin conroy um the the iconic voice behind batman um with batman the animated series all those movies that they made all those animated movies and then of course the batman arkham games um i i have never played the arkham games but batman the animated series was such a big part of my childhood along with spider-man um and x-men that you know those three shows really were like the core of me being a superhero fan for the rest of my life and growing up michael keaton was batman sure but it wasn't until uh the dark knight came out and i heard christian bale talk like i'm batman where i had my first moment of oh he's doing the kevin conroy thing you know, like I, I realized he is paying homage to the voice that Kevin Conroy does in the animated series. And that is just such an awesome fandom moment when you can link those two things together. And Kevin Conroy is just such a big part of the Batman character, Batman lore. And, um, you know, many people like so many people argue he's the best Batman. And for him to do that just with his voice, very awesome. David, I know you're a big fan of the Arkham games. So uh, Kevin Conroy, obviously a big loss for that franchise. Um, you know, your thoughts on the legend, the GOAT, Kevin Conroy. Yeah, no, I mean, this was terrible news when it came out. Uh, I was definitely saddened by it. And I still am because I think what's beautiful about it, however, um, is that his voice can live on like for eternity you know like he has been in so much content you mentioned the arkham games uh a staple of my childhood playing video games arkham city um especially i i love that game one of my favorite games of all time and they're they're all awesome and he is just he is batman like <laughs> there's no two ways about it and i think that's such a cool unique thing um having a character that just their voice is that character is that living breathing person and like he was just born to play it like it, it is such an incredible batman voice it is perfect um they've never honestly been able to capture his voice on the big screen in live action it just hasn't happened and that's okay right i mean he was a voice actor <laughs> mm-hmm. and so i guess that was kind of his his job in a sense um but like just two hall of fame gold 10 out of 10 voice acting between Conroy Mark Hamill in both the animated series and also in the Arkham games um like absolutely phenomenal stuff in terms of Hamill as the Joker and Conroy as Batman um and this is just sad news you know it's sad that we won't get anything in the future um but he did leave a very very strong legacy here um in terms of his additions to DC uh just in general right like a shining star 
of DC and for a long time, right? I love that. I love I love when someone has a very long career in something and everyone knows. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, just like maybe the most prolific just voice actor of all time in the sense of like he just owned a character, you know? Um, and it's just, you know, that was the main thing he's known for. And that what a special, cool thing to be known for. The voice of Batman. <laughs> yeah. And his just performances were always just on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it takes a lot to be a voice actor and be it being an actually talented one. I feel like sometimes we think we can all be a voice actor, just change our voice a little bit. Right. <laughs> and he just was a true pro. I loved how they tried to involve him as in, in Batman as Batman um, at every chance he got. Um, and yeah, I mean, just a uh, uh, real shining, shining point, I would say of beyond the comics, DC content of the last two, three decades is Kevin Conroy as Batman. Um, just never missed. Everyone always, so there would always be discussions of animated things like the Lego movie or a video game. Who's going to voice Batman? Who's going to voice the Joker? Every discussion was always like Kevin Conroy should voice Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Right. I think Will Arnett voices him in the Lego movie. Whole different it, tone. Does it so well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A whole different tone. Does it well. Um, but it's like Kevin Conroy was always viewed as that like the top notch Batman voice. Like, oh, that you're, you're, you're going to get Batman. So yeah, this was this was sad news, um, but I'm glad as a DC fan and others out there on the internet are able to celebrate him. You know, go, go play some Arkham, go watch some D- DC animated um, movies or the television show, and just you know uh, enjoy his work he left behind. You know, that's what's special too. It's like he really left behind true art. You know, like authors would leave behind writing. Uh, he's really left behind this catalog of amazing voice acting work, and I think it will inspire a next generation of voice actors too. Um, beyond just enjoying his presence as a fan, I think his presence in the industry, I'm sure is very prevalent as well as someone who was able to really, um, focus their attention on one character and just perfectly nail it every time. Um, I think is a true, I think, lesson for those, hopefully, um, going forward and maybe we'll see some, some other step into his shoes or just some some other voice actors over time really become a character and that is who they are. So yeah, rest in peace. Um, I will definitely miss his presence. I will miss his ability to, um, I think elevate any game or series he was in, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, he'll be missed, but I think he's definitely a loved person within the community and someone that, um, I think definitely left his mark on the world in terms of his work. Without a doubt, top 50 most important people in comic book history. And um, I think that's a pretty awesome thing. So shout out, rest in peace and peace, uh, Kevin Conroy. You'll be sorely missed in for right now and or episode 11. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. Welcome on. Welcome to our second to last and or review episode 11. And just like we have for the last few weeks, we are joined by our Star Wars correspondent, the third leg of this show, ladies and gentlemen, from Duval, Jack Pews. Jack, how we doing? Doing good, man. I can't say this is necessarily my flu game because 
I oh. feel okay, <laughs> but I have been sick the past couple of days, so I'm powering through. Wednesdays always help, Matt. The Wednesdays are always a little pick me up. Sure. Uh, so yeah, doing good. Um, you know, Jaguars lost again, but yeah, you know, whatever. Well, it's okay. Just keep keep working through it. It's okay. You know, they it, they're not the most cloud show um, team in the division, and neither are the Texans, no. and that's the craziest <laughs> thing. Um, but we're not here to talk about the AFC South. We're here to talk about. And or our second to last episode, the penultimate for what many people are considering the best Star Wars series. And it all it's going to come down to it. Can they stick the landing? This episode has primed that landing up more than any of us ever expected it to do. Here we go. Let's start with spoiler free overall thoughts for Andor episode 11. Jack, I'm going to go to you. I think this episode is good. And honestly, I think over overall, after first watching it, I thought it was just kind of average. But because they just execute things so well, whether it's the acting, whether it's the writing or directing, it bumps it all the way up to good, maybe even really good. Um, because, I mean, look, these are professionals making this show, plain and simple. Like, without a doubt, even if it's something that's just like inherently, in my opinion, a little bit lackluster, understandably so, because it's a penultimate um they just find a way to make it more than what it probably would be just on paper um but yeah i I think i appreciated it more the second time around just kind of letting it wash over me a little bit more um but yeah not a ton i mean it's it's a good it's a good setup um and especially after last week I think that's the hard part about it is that when you when you contrast it to last week, which a lot of people, it's their favorite episode of the series. And I mean, for me, it's my second favorite. I, sure. It's it's fantastic. I mean, whether it's the action, it's it's the tension, it's the release of the tension, if you will, from just that buildup of that arc. So to kind of come back down to earth, it's it's very similar to episodes uh, four um and episode seven as well just in kind of that layover of what just happened in the fallout of all that yeah um so yeah it, it didn't shock me it didn't blow me away or anything some some great moments as always um if anything it just got me more excited for next week absolutely um i think that i agree with everything you said i think this is a tried and true filler episode i think our second filler episode of the season which is a very small amount for a 12 episode season especially in star wars where we've seen uh mando which eight episode seasons yeah yes eight episode seasons we've seen three four um and at definitely in the first season you know we can argue the second season they're just a little better i think but um, our second filler episode, tried and true. Um, I don't think it's as good as the episode seven filler that we got, which was that was the episode for me after the heist, where like I I knew this show like had a chance to really reach some heights on some rankings because if the filler's that good and these three story arcs are that good, and then and then we got the prison break. So um, uh, you know, but that's not to say that this still isn't a very good episode. I think um for me. This is my least favorite episode of the season, not because I think it's worse than anything else. I just think it has more bad popcorn to talk about um, than some other episodes. But still, um, like you said, the floor of this show through the production, through the acting, through just kind of the environment they've set up and how invested we are in these characters, which is, you know, constantly a surprising thing about this show, how invested we are in all of these characters, um, so many of them. Right. So um, I think that raises the floor of this episode um, and is just another sign of how good this show is. 
um, because I I have no dislike toward this episode, but it's definitely my least favorite, like by by far and away. Which you know, this is the floor. I'm I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but um, what it does, the utilitarian part of this episode, it does set the pieces up. It gives us our um, you know, our climactic event, um, like Andor has come come to do. You know, the escape from Scarif, the the heist uh, of the uh, the eye. And then, of course, the prison break. You know, those were all very set up, calculated episodes before they happened. We knew we knew it was going to be a heist. We knew it was going to be a prison break. And now we know what's coming in the finale and it's all going to come to a head. Very exciting stuff. Let's dive into it now as we talk about spoilers with Mr. Michael Keaton. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. All right, Jack, let's talk about the good, warm, buttery popcorn from Andor Episode 11. You can kick us off. Yeah, so kicking us off here, my first piece of delicious buttery popcorn. Mm -hmm. It's got to be that Saul, Guerrera, and Luthen scene. Uh, Similar to last week, it's just, it's so damn real, Matt. It's so genuine. Like, I, they come back together, and that's just how I picture that conversation going down. And what I like about it, and honestly, throughout this whole episode, you kind of see Luthen being pushed outside of his comfort zone a little bit, and he's not in complete control of everything. Like, he can only control so much, and he can only control other people so much. And you kind of see the lengths he has to go to to try to persuade those other people and try to maintain that sense of control. Um, but at the same time, like, how much of it is an act? Like, he because, like, there's a moment when he says to Saul, like, uh, um, just the fact that what's happening with Krieger, you know, puts both of them in a tough spot. It's like, are you just kind of acting? Because for the most part, it kind of seems like you like how this is going down because of the way it's going to play with the ISB. Um, and yeah, it's just the dirty side of the rebellion. Once again, um, Anto Krieger, it's sad because he's just, I would imagine he's just as much of a rebel as all of them. And overall, he's just going to be a pawn in a bigger game to bring freedom to the galaxy. So it's just the sad, hard truths about stuff. And Forrest Whitaker, Academy Award winner. Uh, and it shows he he just rocks. I love him in the role. I know some people think he overacted in Rogue One, and it's here and there. But like, I I, I love the guy in this role. Have you come to kill me? Um, it's his voice. But uh, no, I think this is the standout scene of this episode. Um, I think that it's such an interesting uh, balance of stakes being thrown around this entire conversation. It's a three, four minute conversation, but you know, back and forth and back and forth, you don't really know whose side you want to be on. We all love Luthen and Skarsgård. Um, but you know, he comes in and I, I love what they've done with this Krieger character because three, four episodes ago, they set up the idea um, on the Imperial side. No, no, no. They set up the idea with Saul Guerrero, like, Hey, join this guy, do a group effort, you know, let's start getting this team, you know, put together. I work alone. I know I'm trying to fix that. Like that, like that, that was its own conversation. I didn't even think of the name they were saying. I didn't, I didn't even kind of register that as they were having that conversation. And then a uh, episode or two later, we see the empire side of it. Hey, we found this guy Krieger and, you know, we're going to, you know, this is a big get for us. We can, you know, we can really, you know, make some moves and put a stamp on a rebellion, whatever, um, with this Krieger guy. So that's set up on both sides now. And then we get the scene last week or two weeks ago where Luthen finds out about, uh, it was last week, finds out about their plan to go after this guy. And, you know, that's where we get that great speech from Luthen, but also great reaction from the ISB guy being like, they're going to, they're running into an ambush. You have to stop them. Isn't that what we're doing here? 
trying to stop them from taking our guys out. And, and he, Luthen has that incredible speech where it's like, no, this is this is a great play for us. You know, as sad as it is, what a move to get them off their guard even more. And, you know, uh, it's from the trailer, fat and satisfied. And to see it all come to a head here with Luthen and Saul seeing like the direct response from Saul Guerrero, like, so you're just going to throw him out there? How, how come you're not going to throw me out? You know what I mean? The gears start turning in Saul's head. And I love the line Luthen has. If I was ISB, why wouldn't I just send you out there with him? You know, why would I be here stopping you? And it's just, it's such a good representation of the Luthen character, of all the hard choices he feels he has to make. And he's done horrible things this entire show, Luthen has, for the Rebellion. This oh, is yeah. just This is just yeah. another one of them. And he's being so upfront about it with Saul. But also... What a great transition. I know we have another season of Andor, and I'm sure Saul Guerrero is going to be a part of it. What a great transition into what we eventually see from Saul Guerrero in Rogue One. Hyper untrusting, you know, just totally against any sort of team effort because this is his first time he's ever opened up to playing with others. And it's it comes in a situation where Luthen's literally just throwing this guy to the wolves just for a, a slight mental advantage over their opponent, which is he can't wrap his head around. This is war. Call it war. He said Luthen thinks it's chess, not war. And, it, and oh, yeah, you know, man. chess is a lot more, um, you know, nuanced and subtle with the moves you make war. You're just slamming cards down. Who has the bigger cards? And it's it's really a good uh, showing of that. Yeah, and I love the way Luthen tricks uh saws henchman oh, his, his little assistant there too yeah too he gets him over there he's like no no, no he's lying like what a that's the brilliance awesome. of this writing because like yeah <laughs> like it happens and it's there and we're gonna talk about it and say it's awesome and that's it but like what other show does that kind of thing or what kind of movie what other movie does that thing like that's such a smart little like and it's so much better than like like doing it physically. Like like Luther doesn't have to do anything physical, like beat up a guy like we would see in a lot of other movies or shows. He just tricks him over there and pulls the gun out. And, and I love Saw, Saw's reaction. He's not scared. He's not intimidated. He just says, there's no way out. Like, yeah. you do this, you're going to die. Because he doesn't know exactly what Luther is up to with this. Yeah. He's like, no, I just need you to listen. I see you uh, yeah. up a little bit here. I love how Saul, so Saul good, almost man. respects it. You know what I mean? Like, all right, nice move. Nice oh, move. yeah. 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 An old two-tube set. They're like, what the fuck, man? You know what I mean? I brought you coffee. I introduced you to this guy. You know, we chat every time you come in. (laughs) It's good stuff. Um, That moves me on to my next piece of good popcorn. Um, The representation of the spy life has been so well done in this show. Last week really was the pinnacle of it, showing the ISB agent who just wants to get out but can't, showing Luthen in his incredible speech about how, you know, Building a sunrise, he'll never see all that stuff. The the Shakespeare that was Andor episode ten, um, and uh, you know they they double down on this with Mon Mothma, and you know how she's going to have to use her kid, um, in a political play. They do it with uh, Ovel and the the uh, antiques assistant, whatever her name is, the the intimidating oh. one. I have it written down. Scares the hell out of me. Um, But um, they have a great conversation where, you know, Vel is like, what have you sacrificed? And then she's like, I sacrifice every day. You know, like I I just sacrifice my everyday life. You know what I mean? It's not. No, it's not as big as God. Clea. Clea is her name. Clea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Charlie's there. But yeah. Um, 
<laughs> no, but like Clea makes a really good point. Like, no, I do not have anything as big as Aldani as a sacrifice on my ledger. But every single day I chip away at it a little bit here and there. It's such an awesome they, they do such a good job showing so many different people being impacted by their investment into the rebellion, all the way down to Bix, who's just miserable because she wanted to help just a little bit. Um, and I think it does so much good for this show. We talked about that a lot last week. What it does good for Star Wars, I think, is when we rewatch Rogue One and we get to Jalen Erso and see how embedded he was. Like, like I Rogue One's incredible and it made it it answered a question that everyone's had for so long. How could there be such a a trigger on the Death Star? How could there be such a, you know, a button somebody could push to end the entire thing? A golden snitch, if you will. Um, and they they answered that question so well in Rogue One. With there was a guy who was a rebel the entire time while they were building it, which is such a cool thing. But they've added so much weight to that through this show because we've seen so many different rebels who live their life just to just to play a small part. And and what's awesome is it's all going to piece together and lead up to Jalen Urso being able to have that opportunity when when they and I know I'm rambling here a little bit, but in no, in this episode when they talk about. You know, it's taken years to set up this this uh, contact. We can't we can't risk that, and that's really what it is. We're going to give up this Krieger guy to keep our I, ISB contact, and it's taken years to get this opportunity. We can't risk that, and it's taken years for Bix to get Cassian to meet Luthen, and it's taken years for all these little opportunities to come, and they're just bobbing and weaving, waiting for the big one, and then they get Jalen Urso to be the head engineer of the Death Star. Like, like it's going to it builds to that eventually. And we're seeing the little moves uh, that build up to that. It's so well done. And like, you know, that's the universe building that we get from this show. And it's so nuanced. I love it. It's awesome. I think it's very cool. Nuance is a great word for it. And and like you said, nuance adds gravitas. It adds weight. And, and yeah, it makes you care in other projects. Like even in Rogue One, when when Andor comes up to Jin or so, and like with all the other rebels said, look, we've done horrible things for the rebellion. We we want to help you with this. We want to do this, whether or not the council agrees to it or not. And now I care so much more about what each, like, I don't know most of those guys. Like I know Melshi, obviously, thanks to this show, but like all those other people, I don't know them, but like, I care about each and every single one of them because I know the type of life they're living now, like I because of this show. Um, so yeah, it's just... It's incredible. And another thing about the spy life and the hard thing about, or just the rebel life, I guess, is it's a benefits cost or cost benefit analysis at the end of the day in a lot of cases. And that's the, what's tough about that is like in this type of situation, you're playing with people's lives and it, it, you know, it's not just like some financial report you're looking at, you're doing cost benefit analysis for a company, you're playing with people's lives. Like a, a person's life is the benefit or the cost of a certain setup or situation. So yeah, it's a, it's a great point. A good, good piece of popcorn here for not just this episode, but honestly the entire show. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's something that really stood out to me uh, in this one in particularly also looking back into last week. Um, I got a couple more pieces that are a little more superficial. Um, uh, Luthen's ship, the Hallcroft. Um, it's it's the most Star Wars scene we get in this entire show. It is lasers and spaceships and flying, but man, is it a good one? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, I it, it 
I, I'm mixed feelings on that scene because it gets away from what has made this show special. And what what has made this show special isn't the lack of Star Warsness. It's how good it's been despite the lack of Star Warsness. You know, it's over it's overcoming that. And, you know, it it's not good just because there's no Star Wars. It's so good and there's no Star Wars. It's like a multiplier. It's double points um, when you're playing Scrabble. I'm so bad at Scrabble, Jack. So oh, me too. Me too, man. unbelievably bad at it. Me, my dad, my brother played a few years ago. And my dad just ran the fucking table on us, man. It's insane. Um, anyway, um, the it, it's the most Star Wars scene we get with this uh ship fight. I'm a little disappointed just because it feels out of place. But if you're gonna insert action, that you it's the only action in this entire episode. And and if you're gonna force action into it, make it worth it. Damn it, they did. What do we think of the Hallcroft and all those fun weapons we see from uh, you know, uh uh post BBY ship, which is something that we really haven't seen a lot. Yeah, so this scene, I mean, look, I love this scene. I love the um the Imperials were great. They yes. talk about like not overacting, like they just played it perfectly and subtle. Like that is how I picture a classic Imperial. It's just thanks a to the Eric in complete control. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's just uh, nothing more. On uh holidays and college campuses, what is it called? Like uh when they check people for driving drunk. Oh, I couldn't tell you. Don't remember, but like it's just that, and they're just playing that game. The guy gets a little suspicious. Yep. Hey, let's why not, right? Let's let's hop in there. Love it. Exactly, yeah. And what I also like about it is that I don't know how Luthen is gonna get out of it. Like, I, like obviously, I know he's gonna do something. I know he's got tricks up his sleeve that we haven't seen yet. I just didn't know how that was gonna take shape. And he does the little Iron Man thing with the lasers, which I freaking loved. Um, can only use them once. Iron Man, too. Um, oh yeah, dude. Fuck, yeah. Great line. Good call. <laughs> Um, oh, there was one more thing I want to say about it. Uh, oh, kind of to your point about like how it does feel out of place. I do agree in a sense, but this is one of those things where I feel like the show has earned it to be like to have a little bit more of like a Star Wars type or Star Wars esque scene in there that is more traditional, if you will, um, compared to another scene that we'll get to and maybe the bad popcorn that I don't think earned it, but is still kind of Star Wars esque. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this action scene, it, it's one of my favorite of the show so far. And, and cause there wasn't much to it again, it kept it simple while still being cool. It's dope. Nasty. Um, it's, it's almost like, I, I love how, how much he tried to solve that problem through his spy stuff, you know, got to stall. Yeah. I'm going to send them a fake code. Hopefully they don't ask any questions. Yada, yada, yada. There's only one me. There's only one of me here, all this stuff. It's, but when he does flip the switch and turns on the, um, the flares and what, what a yeah. dope effect with the electric flares, man. Um, and then, you know, obviously the laser thing and just good flying overall by Luke. It's good. It's a great ship scene. Um, I almost want somebody to overlay the James Bond music when he pushes the button to open up the flares, though, because like yeah. they come out of fucking nowhere. And and the people on the ship like, <laughs> wait, a Hawcroft has that? Like, apparently, this is just a freighter ship or something. And they're shocked mm-hmm. that they have all these. Oh, yeah, that would have been cool. Um, uh, okay, your next piece of good popcorn. Yeah, so you have this one written down on yours. I'm going to steal it, Matt. Um, you go to Marva. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll go tomorrow. Yeah. I liked it. This one was surprising. And this is, this is where a 
rewatch comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, because initially I was a little let down by Marva's death. Uh, when when was the last time we've seen her? Was it episode eight? Two episodes. When we saw ago. her being like really sick. Yeah. yeah okay. okay no, so it nine. was nine. It was nine. Yeah. Because. Okay. Okay. So yeah. No. 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 It was last. It was last episode because they showed all the doctors rushing into her house. We didn't see her, but we saw. Oh, okay. Um, the tan gal watch all the people go into her house. Whatever her name is, yes. Cyril, Cinta, 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 Cinta. Yeah. So we ha- we haven't seen her specifically in a little bit. Um, and again. When I watched this initially, I was a little let down by it. I was like, oh, that just, it, it's kind of similar to how you felt about the way they handled Saul Guerrero's introduction um, in the Velmon Mothma reveal earlier in the show. It mm-hmm. was just kind of anticlimactic and it just kind of happened and we wished it was more momentous. But after rewatching it, I really appreciated that the show stuck to its guns because I, like that's just what this show is. Like we've seen them do it with Saul Guerrero. We saw them do it with the Velmon Mothma reveal. Like it's not going to make a big deal out of these types of things at least not in the way you expect it's always gonna whatever you are expecting it's gonna flip it on its head um but also you feel marva's death throughout the entire episode it's like the shot heard around the world 100 all of our characters are hearing about it and it just reminded me how integral andor is to this entire series even though he's not really involved with all these other characters like he was or, or, or like by default he is just because the imperials were investigating and all that stuff um and none of these events are going down the way they're going down without andor um and it was something we were all skeptical about going into the series like how much of the show is really about andor and you could make the argument that directly it's not entirely about him but indirectly like we don't get this show without the guy um and you know series jumps from character to character planet to planet they're all connected intertwined through andor's story um and overall i think just the way they handled her death and this entire episode really is somber and you feel the tension and the turmoil within andor and the people of ferrix and this is going to be the thing that's going to bring everything together this funeral i believe like this is the reckoning this is that reckoning she was talking about i think that this is the setup to bring all the pieces together um so yeah i i think you know there are certainly things about it that i don't care for all that much just mm-hmm. because I, I wished it was more momentous, but I, there were a lot. There was a lot more to it that I picked up on the second time. So yeah, you 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 kind of swayed me a little bit. You really did. Um, I I this this whole aspect, Marva's death in this episode, has so many pros and cons. I think for me, um, two pros. I think yes, it is sticking to its gun. When uh, Nimic dies, it's not a big heroic death. He gets yes. smashed by something that wasn't buckled incorrectly, and and that is and it adds to the realism and the grit and the tone of this show is that he didn't get a big heroic death that we all expected him to get. He didn't. Um, the same thing with uh, ooh, what was I going to say? Damn it. Oh, oh, same thing with Andy Circus. His death. Like, it was sad. It was emotional. It's impactful. What happens two seconds later? We get pushed off the cliff. We never see him again. Like, like it it they don't they don't um look away from the story they're telling to give these characters big heroic deaths. And it adds so much to the realism and the grit of what Andor's feeling. And that's why at the end of this, when Diego Luga reacts and it's such a great acting performance, that's kind of the heroic death Marva gets. It's Andor's reaction. It's not her on-screen death. Um, But also I think uh, another 
purpose it serves, like you said, the shot her around the worldness. It really just amplifies how much everyone's looking for Andor. And nobody doesn't want to find this guy right now. Um, so I think it works in those two ways. Where it doesn't work for me is it does kind of turn Marva into just a plot device, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as she really hasn't been in the show a ton since those first three episodes, but she was the emotional, you know, she was the only thing that could like budge Andor. Like, you know, this is a guy who fits in everywhere, always has a plan, all this stuff. The only thing that could budge him, and the Empire knows that, is Marva. And that relationship they built was really strong because it's a great acting performance on both sides. And, and, you know, the flashback scene helps a ton. I do think this does kind of just regulate Marva into a plot device. They can make up with that with a really good funeral. And we just saw two really good funerals in Wakanda Forever. So... I'm so sorry. Have you seen that? Oh no, I've seen it, and okay. oh, Shit. I can't stop thinking about what it. Matt. A spoiler no, no, that good. would have been, huh? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> At least I wouldn't have known who. I mean, I know one of them, of course, but the other one I wouldn't. Sure. So. Yeah. So um, still a okay. good funeral scene can kind of bring that weight back for me really quickly. It's just it 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 was interesting. I'm not saying I don't like it. It was just interesting to me that Marva was such a plot point um, without any on screen death. I will say I do. I totally understand it again, because that's how I felt the first time. I think thinking back on it, and it's hard to remember this because it is a weekly show. I do think they kind of get away with it because of what they set up in episode seven, that initial filler episode of that scene between them. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, like, I think of that line of just like, I, I'll be thinking about you all the time. And she's like, that's just love. That's just love. And it's oh, like, yeah. shit, knowing that that's the last time that they saw each other and mm-hmm. spoke like, damn yeah. it, dude. It's just it's again, somber. It's very, very good. And Diego Luga, uh, Luna, Luna or Luga? I don't know why I got that mixed up in my head. Luna. 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 Diego Luna, he's just, he's crushing it and he's selling it. And it's very, very good. Um, uh, we'll never see him cry, I don't think. No, because in. I was waiting for it. I, I was too. I thought, if anything, this would be the moment. But I guess, again, sticking to their guns, like he's just not that, like the character is not that kind of guy. Because mm-hmm. I do think Diego Luna has that gear. Certainly. Absolutely. I haven't seen him in much other stuff, but I mean, he's a great actor. I wouldn't imagine, like, I don't know why he wouldn't. I think it's just, that's just who the character is. He's mm-hmm. not going to be the one to really break down. It's a Killian Murphy kind of thing where like his mouth just doesn't move a lot ever. Yep. And it's that's all in the eyes. Comparison. It's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyebrows. Like it's, it's nose up facial expressions and the mouth not moving. I'm I'm sure if you don't pull that off, it's really bad acting. But when you do pull it off, it's it's weird and unusual and it draws uh, people's attention. It's good. It's good. Um, All right. Moving on to some bad popcorn. And uh, Marva's death for me was a tease for this. But this is my first little segment here is not bad popcorn. It's it's popcorn seasoning. It's the flavors you put on top of your popcorn, because I think for me, some of those flavors make the popcorn great. Some of those flavors can ruin an entire bucket of popcorn. Also, too much or too little of any of those flavors can also ruin an entire bucket of popcorn. It's like you have to get the perfect amount when you put that seasoning on. So this this section is for things. I'm just going to ask you, and I want to talk it out. Did it work? Did these scenes work for you? And the first one is the big scene. And my question with it, obviously, great acting. I love the I love the build up to it. We know what Bix has been through, all these things. When they ask her, I need you to identify this person. And if I don't think you're telling the truth, we're bringing Dr. Kevorkian back. Um, 
And then they show this poor fucking Krieger guy again, who just can't catch a break <laughs> to save poor his life. man. This poor guy. They show him, and she has a very emotional reaction to that. What am I supposed to be pulling from that? What did you pull from I, that? I should say. What I pulled from it is she sees him, and she doesn't recognize him. Like that isn't that obviously isn't Luthen. That's not um, Skarsgård. And I think she's just scared of the fact that she's going to say, no, I don't know him. And they're going to do the they're exact same thing to yep. her again. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. But yeah, like it, I understand that scene. One of, the, one of the reasons why it does work though, I think because it's almost like the flaw of the empire, because I, I could also picture a scenario where they show her that picture and they know what they just put her through. And she's going to she's going to lie to them and say, no, that is him. And they're going to believe her because it's like, man, we just tortured her. No way she would lie again. And they're just going to I could also see that scenario. So I kind of like how they set it up where the empire is kind of screwing itself by by torturing people. Um, but the human I mean, element really of it. Know until next week. Right. Like exactly. like somebody in the empire eventually is going to be like, there's no way she's lying. Right. Like she can't be. Yeah. Like she can't yeah. be lying here. Um. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Thank you for justifying that for me because that's what I felt, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure. Um, excellent, yeah, it was excellent acting there. By the way, that's a gorgeous human being. That Bix, fuck, it sucks. Um, my other one is the Mon Mothma scene again. Incredible acting again. Incredible weight because we know this character and how horrible her life is and all these things. We finally get some value to what she's been pulling out. Hundred thousand credits a month. That could be eight billion. We wouldn't know the difference, but um, you know, it seems like a lot, right? Um, my my question is, do we feel that Mon Mothma has plateaued a little bit here? Because if if I recall, this is three straight episodes of Mon Mothma talking to three different people about how much financial trouble she's in, and not a ton has evolved from that. In my opinion, do you agree or disagree? I agree. It's one of those things where I feel like every Mon Mothma scene has been spectacular. Again, the execution is great, but mm-hmm. the overarching, I guess, story of it all hasn't evolved yeah. much. And I mean, like what I like about the scene is that it it does show her inner tor- turmoil. And again, I think a lot of other shows would have just had her make the decision to marry or not marry her daughter to that guy's son in this episode. But mm-hmm. they're playing it out again, the slow buildup of everything. So you get to stay with the character a little bit. But yeah, it, it has plateaued for me. And it is a bit of a shame. And my only hope is just that and, and I, they are definitely doing this, that they're setting up for something bigger in season yeah. two. But I did want more of her involved. I, I am kind of shocked thinking about it more that we've stuck on this particular story of like the money aspect of it all for so long. Right. Um, again, it's real. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. But yeah, it, I've I've gotten less invested each week as we keep getting more of these scenes about it. Exactly. And and I think to that point, it's not even just that we've had three straight episodes of one really well acted scene from Mon Mothma about money. It's not even about the money. It's about how bad the money is, because two episodes yeah. prior, it was about money, but it was introducing the idea of the money and introducing the idea of getting outside help and how dangerous that is and how risky it is. And, and the secret smile, walk and talk during the party, which is great. All that stuff. Okay. This, this, this overarching narrative, I know this is stupid to compare. It's a 12 episode, 12 episode series compared to a movie. But if this plot line was in a prequel movie, they would have shown three scenes of Mon Mothma saying the same thing to three different people because that's what the prequels did. They did the same scene 
multiple times just to make sure that the audience had to do zero thinking. And I just think if you take a step back and you look at Mon Moth and his character arc, we have kind of hit a wall uh, with her in this. So um, I don't think that works, despite the scenes being really good. Again, that speaks to the floor of this show, right? Yep. Um, do you agree with any of these uh, other bad popcorns? Do you want me to finish this one out? Or are you just um, perfect? You know, blind-eyed Marvel fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say, uh, the droid, I actually liked him in this episode. He Okay, Matt, he is the dog. He's a talking dog, and he even has a dog bed. Like, he even has a dog bed. The bed bed fucking had me, dude. (laughs) But it's this... It's the scene where it's the opening scene when we we hear the voiceover about Marva's death and he starts shaking about it. Like it's like holy! Sh- I don't know if I've ever seen so much emotion from a droid. Genuinely, like just from that shot, like I see emotion in the droid, Matt. What's happening? It makes me. I, so I really like that. It, it is uncomfortable, but I, I this this episode it worked for me. So that's yeah, that's I, the only thing where I'll di- disagree on this bad popcorn. I think this is going to be like horror movies for me. I just can't do it. I just can't watch emotional droids. Like we've seen R2-D2 show emotion before. This guy talks it out and I hate it. I hate it. Like, like I hate leaving my dog at home when I'm going out for an hour. Like, you know what I mean? And I get that feeling every time he's on screen. I'm not saying it's bad. It's that uncanny valley thing. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like talking about it. Get this guy out of my life. It's so sad, dude. It's so fucking sad, sad for no reason. It's crazy. And the way this guy talks to him, too, like like it's a, you know, it's 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 a kid that he now has to take care of. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? I, I was just this one night, I'll say. Dude, get the fuck out of here. I don't know. It's good. It's good TV. It makes me uncomfortable, though. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I know I have to. Um, I think the aliens sucked. Weak, weak scene for me what were they what 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 was that story they were spinning where they were accusing them the whole time and then just let them go did i miss something i I don't understand the turn yeah it was i mean it it, this is the thing i was talking about earlier about like this is a star wars type scene that i've seen in mandalorian or or whatever other show or movie and this is the one where they didn't earn it like this this just does not work i think it's an interesting design it's like i don't love it but i don't hate it um but it, it, I guess it's a thing of like they were going to turn them in for money, but then they bring up the empire and they're like, oh, well, we hate the empire. And it's like, you know, we don't want to take money from them type of thing because they've ruined our life, essentially. But it's hard to really get that emotion out and connect with them because of the way they talk. Exactly. Which I get. Like, I'm not saying aliens shouldn't talk like perfect English and basic, but but like I couldn't really get much from them. And they I mean, look, they're prosthetic, so you don't get a ton of emotion. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's just. This felt weird. Didn't work. Oh, who's the who's the mosquito guy from Phantom Menace? Oh, Ani! Yeah, Ani! Oh my god! I just rewatched like all the Star Wars movies Shit. this summer, and I can't. What is this? Klein is gonna kill me. Klein is gonna kill me. We got to think of his name first. We can't. We can't move on. I, I am on it, man. I'm on it. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, great. This is great radio, and I apologize. Watto. Mod- Watto. Watto. So, so I think what worked with Watto was the interesting accent, the interesting dialect, the way he spoke. Same thing that worked with Yoda. I think what worked with them doesn't work here because the interesting dialect is fun. That's Star Wars. I like. I like 
trying to catch the pace of it a little bit. It's like uh, the Wakandan accent is, you know, very unfamiliar to, you know, modern film. And that's kind of the point of the movie. Right. And it takes you a little while to catch up with the cadence of how they talk. But once you do, it's really fun. This I, I was excited about that. When you layer sarcasm, which I think is what they were doing with a yes. weird talking pace and a weird talking structure. I, it it was lost on me. And I, I just, I couldn't really catch on to what they were saying. I watched the Batman last night and it's a long movie, dude. Um, it's very long. And that scene where the Riddler is like Bruce Wayne and they're playing that ominous tone. <laughs> and then when the moment flips to where Batman realizes he's not talking about Batman, he's just talking about Bruce Wayne in general and the music just cuts out like like mm-hmm. you feel that you feel yep. the moment where it switches and we realize we're not talking about what we were talking about i feel like they wanted to do that here because both uh melshi and andor have that look on their face like wait a minute what oh oh you're not gonna kill us that's great okay. um you know they both have that expression i didn't catch what did that to them so that was a little lost on me good ship though uh, yeah, I love being a Star Wars correspondent on here and not knowing fucking Watto's name. I I, I love myself. Honey. Sorry, Klein. <laughs> um, but it, it also, Matt, it just it felt too easy. Like, even if I did understand everything they were saying, it's like, oh, well, we hate the Empire. Sure, we'll take you wherever you want to go. It's like, really? Like, yeah. come on. But I did like the design of the net that they catch them in. It's like slimy and gross. It, it, it That felt very real. And I, I, I don't know. That was just like a small little tidbit that I liked. Spider-Man vibes, I guess. If you want. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Spider-Man's always cool. A little slimier. And the last thing, um, you know, the internet is in love with Melshi. Um, and, uh, you know, because he, you know, spoilers, he does show up back again in Rogue One. Um, but if I'm being completely honest with me, I watch the show every week. I'm very invested in it. The reason I know who Melshi is is because somebody pointed out that he was also in Rogue One. It 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 does feel weird to me that him and Andor have this bond because he didn't really have that with him in the prison, right? And yeah. I think I think the bond is supposed to be they might be the only two that got out alive, and they do a really good job, you know, expressing that. But then they separate right away, and that just didn't work for me. As far as like, Melshi is not a hype character for me, and the only I, I I truly believe the only reason he is getting so much love on the internet and things like that is because people have pointed out he's also in Rogue One. Like, like the fact that he is a cameo, quote-unquote, I think that's the most he provides to this, which is a little lame to me. Yeah, I wish that we had one more scene with him. I did like the opening scene a when one-on-one you know, he's scene. talking about my hands. Yeah, yeah, one-on-one, like, because, again, there's the opening scene, but, like, they're hiding, and, you know, I did like the moment where he's like, stop saying that they're leaving, and then at the end, he's like, tell me right, they're leaving. Tell me one I did, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did like that, but, yeah, I need a little bit more of a one-on-one of them bonding personally, because I get their bond just from going through that prison experience, Um, but it wasn't enough for me to really buy into them, you know, like, kind of hugging at the end, like, dapping up, like, it's like, okay, sure, Um but I think just a little different from you. Like it, it didn't stick out to me as much. Like it's just like, sure. yeah, that's Melchie. They they were in prison together. Like I can roll with it. It only sticks out to me is because people are talking about it so much on Twitter. You know, that, that's really yeah, it. Fair. And that's my fault, I guess. But um, you know, and again, something that had to be pointed out to me on Twitter was they have that scene in the prison where Melchie's the one that says to him, like, hey, we're never getting out of here. Like he's the first one to just buy into not getting out of here um in episode eight. Um yeah. And then and then he has that parallel here where he's like, we're getting out of here. 
because he starts running toward the ship. The only reason I recognize that is because someone pointed out to me on Twitter. Like that doesn't stand out to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm just missing it, but the oh well. Moving on. Na, 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 na. Top plays from Andor episode 11. We talked about Diego Luga already. Uh, Diego Luna already. Um, the talking and code stuff was all very cool. Um, the way Luthan was doing question it. About that, go for it. What are they talking about? <laughs> talking about Andor. because are they Wait, talking about what, Andor? What are who talking about? Well, Luthan and uh, Clea. Yeah, they're talking about Andor. Okay, I because mm-hmm. that's what I thought initially, but they're talking about like other buyers being involved, and so I didn't know like is that supposed to be the Empire also trying to get to him and whatnot. So I was just a little confused at first. Or is this a, like, are they setting up someone else to come in eventually into this rebellion network? Clea, I think, is realizing through her conversation with Vel, which again is another cool talking code moment because Vel's just not doing it. And Clea yes. continues to try yeah. to keep doing it. And she keeps moving around the store, which is very cool. Yeah. And, you know, it, that was a cool contrast. Like, you know, cut the shit. No, we can't, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like if you had gotten a Disney, uh, disney world character to break and then give them shit for it like never break character (laughs) (laughs) but uh um no the i think because she said like there's gonna be too many buyers your appearance there would only clutter the market and i think what she's saying is i'm realizing how many people are showing up to this funeral specifically to go after Andor. too many moving pieces you know i mean you are too important of a piece to also be involved in something that so many people are involved in too many too many x factors they can't control like yes with their hands right so does that mean he wants to go to the funeral to he see does. andor he does but Play a saying stay. the last thing we heard though was that they wanted to kill andor which is i guess might be why i'm confused like does he want to go there to personally kill andor is he now wanting to recruit him like i guess like what's what is their end goal and that could be the point because it's luthan we never really know what his end goal is but yeah. that, i guess that's why i was confused a little bit yeah, no, no, I and I understand. It's a great question. It's great. I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, it could be just because he wants to kill Andor and make sure that that because that's because like you know we've seen him express like that's the piece that keeps driving me crazy. That's the that's yeah. in his mind. That's what's going to take us down, and and his pursuit to stop that led to him confining in Saul Guerrero his horrible plans for this poor guy, um, Hi, Krieger um, man, poor Krieger guy. Um, they do they do a good job like kind of showing how far he's gone with this whole thing. And so I, I, I buy that he wants to be there doing himself because he doesn't trust other people to do it because that hasn't been done yet. And they don't know he's been in prison this whole time. Um, but yeah, just another classic Clea. Hey, you stay away. Like you, you are getting way yeah. too close to this across the board. Um, so I thought that was cool. The return of Sergeant Chris Farley. Shout out. Uh, excellent character. The first character to say shit in star Wars. Um, the, the, the melting <laughs> plant Rudy scene was very cool. Um, we talked about that before we started recording. Um, you know, it, it, that's, that's the filler of this episode. The only reason that scene was in there is so we know why Karn knows to go to the funeral. You know what I mean? That that's it. Simple as that. There's nothing deeper to it. I don't think. Um, but yeah, so that's another piece on the board, right? So we have Karn, we have Miro and her squad. We have, uh, Whoever's still on Ferrix looking for Andor, all, all all of Marva's squad, you know, the older brother figure, all that stuff. We assume Bix is going to be there. Luthan wants to be there. Vel's going to be there. Um, I bet I bet Vel and old girl get into some sort of dust up, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I guess a lot will. of moving pieces. Marva's funeral is going to be they they've come up with a very good reason for everybody to come to the same place. That's what I was worried oh, yeah. about. Um, with the yep. three episode arcs is how are you going to make it make sense that everybody comes together? That's something Mando does so well is bring people back mm-hmm. for good reasons, right? Um, so I think they've they found a good one. They know Marva's death and and Miro has a great scene too, um, where she's like, no, 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 grant yeah. in the permit. Let this be the biggest thing they've been allowed to do in a long time because this could be our put them in a box like that. Yeah. Like I love that put them in a box thing because you know it. You try to put especially rebellious people in a box, they're just gonna try to break out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it make everybody uncomfortable and um, yep. but but make it accessible which is cool the ferric tradition i thought was dope how you know they they smell yeah. you down put you in the wall make you a part of the city kind of thing mm-hmm. very sick that was that was that was really cool it was very star wars too 100 percent. speaking of was that a lightsaber for those who don't know luthan luthan was stripped at the gate of saul's uh camp by two tubes and they find this what looks like a lightsaber and he hands it over it's it's going to be something because I, it's funny. I, I meant to bring that up. I meant to write that in my notes because I saw that and they're clearly setting it up for something. Cause he's like, what did he say? Like put it down or put it back or, or something like that. <laughs> like I, I love scars guards acting. Man. He's so good. But I, I was like, okay, they're, they're planting a seed. He's going to have some big scene with that. It's going to be a big thing. I mean, he, he has all these artifacts in the store, man. I like, I would not be surprised but if it is, it'd be a very different kind of lightsaber. Maybe he's made modifications to it. I don't know. But it's cool looking. I know that. Right. I, I'm i on the fence. I want it to be a lightsaber because Luthen being a Jedi would make so much sense to why he's so invested. Because, you know, it, he he might, like Obi-Wan, feel like he's the last remaining Jedi. Like he doesn't, he, mm-hmm. he might think that he's the last remaining, um, you know, piece of the Jedi, whatever. Um, the old, the old Republic, um, you know, but it would, you know, kind of like this spaceship scene kind of take away some of the magic of Andor being its own thing. Um, so I'm on the fence. It'll be interesting. Uh, I'm going to give it the no way home tag. Like if they make it work, it's going to be great, but sure. it's so easy to not make it work. I think I would only put it at like a 3% chance. He's a Jedi, even if it is lightsaber, just because knowing his resourcefulness and, and knowing Tony Gilroy too, I don't think that's the route they want to go. I think it's just something he picked up. You know, I think it was some kind of black market deal for his antique store and he he just somehow got it. Um, but in terms of, do I want to see it? Cause like, would it still fit the, the show? Cause we, you know, we talked about earlier with the action scene in Luthen and that kind of felt a little almost too star Warsy for this show. Um, that's what would make me nervous about it. So I, I, I'm with you in the sense of giving it that no way home tag of, you know, I'm just kind of keeping an eye out for it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's something I'm going to continue to say. The no way home tag is, you know, it's risky. If it works, it's going to be great, but there's a better chance it doesn't work. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've seen that with no way home, how it, it did work and it was amazing because it was, but if that one piece didn't work, that movie would have fallen apart. Um, yeah. So that that's what I'm the the Luthan Jedi theory. I'm giving that tag. Um, and your last top play is the ending. Get a little get a little cinematography chills there. <laughs> oh, it's it's that. It's also just like the reference to I, at least I think it's a reference to how he goes out in Rogue One. Uh, spoiler alert! If you haven't seen that, um, just Imagine. like with the ocean, with the the horizon. Imagine watching Andor <laughs> without seeing Rogue One. <laughs> what a weird experience that would be. 
<laughs> I'll never watch uh, a new if, hope if in the, one if day ever again. <laughs> if there's someone out there who hasn't seen Rogue One but is watching Andor, please let us know. Yeah. Um, but it's also the score, Matt. Oh god, I looked it up. Uh Nicholas Bertel, I think, is the composer for Andor. He has crushed it and crushed it and crushed it, but it, it's it's the combination of the score, the cinematography with the fact that Marva died and seeing Diego Luna's acting just in that moment. It it really hit it for me. And it the show, I, I think every now and then, I mean, some episodes have incredibly powerful endings. Some just kind of end and you're like, oh, that's it. And this was one of those where it could have, it's a filler episode, could have easily just been like, a, oh, all right, that's it. But no, this, this, this had a stamp on it at the end. And I like that. Love it. Absolutely love it. I think that's our film room was all the visual callbacks to uh, the death on Rogue One. Also, uh, that scene where he gets picked up by Marva in episode three and she's looking back mm-hmm. and he's looking up at her. It's it's oh, it's, yeah. it's exactly the same frame uh, from that scene. So that whole parallel there, uh, like like if you splice those two scenes together, the left side Marva, right side Andor, they'd be looking at each other. Sure. Um, very good. Very good stuff. And moving forward next week. um you know, there's not a ton of speculation as as far as plot because it's Marva's funeral. Obviously, it's attracting everybody looking for Andor. And I feel like Andor is going to come. It'd be really weird if he did at this point, right? <laughs> like, <I'm> at- <laughs> this finale <laughs> and Andor's going to show up. <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be funny. The queen will not be coming today. Um, Baku's a shit. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to get the funeral and hijinks ensue. Um, could get a Boba Fett fight, <laughs> you know, just in, in the streets of Ferrix. We could. <laughs> Which I think would be interesting. <laughs> it would be interesting. I, I think Action. they're going to set up um, a nice little rebellion type of thing here. You know, small scale. Um, I, I don't know the extent of that and how much will linger with that, or rather with the characters that are all involved with this. If if it'll be more personal or more large scale, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but the other thing about it of this finale is like I really wonder how much this finale is going to be a wrap up of this season, and how much it's going to be a setup for next season. Right. And Local I mean, stop. I think they can do, yeah, exactly. And I, I think they can do do both equally. But with the way this episode was just like such a complete setup for the finale, I have a feeling it's gonna be more so of a wrap up this a wrap up of this season, and then you know maybe like one little or two little teases for for what's coming next. For sure, yeah. And and for me, what it's gonna be is with Miro, you know, having her eye on this funeral, with all of the different factions of the rebellion having their eye on this funeral, with Andor at the center of it. I think one thing needs to happen. We need to get Andor as a bought-in member of the Rebellion, so next season we can work within that and build his rank in the Rebellion at that point. Because, oh, yeah. you know, as as much great reason as he has losing uh, Nimic, losing uh, uh, Andy Serkis in the prison break, understanding what the how much the Empire has impacted so many different people, he has every reason to be bought in on the Rebellion. We really haven't seen that yet. You know, last we saw... Mm-hmm. Like the last decision Andor made for himself was Space Miami. And and that was a vacation for him, which, you know, I love that they did that more realism. But I think they need to get him bought in on the rebellion. How much does Luton play a factor into that? All that stuff. But also how public is the rebellion after this to the Empire? Like, well, good point. Because the whole thing of this show is, you know, keep them confident. You know, they'll never suspect us. If they take down this Krieger guy, they're going to think they've won. At the end of this, if they if the Empire loses, how much of an impact is it going to make moving forward? 
Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, real quick, I do just want to say, Matt, uh, when Andor went back to that bathroom, that shower, and opened the box, he opened that tablet up a little bit, and we hear Nemec's voice. And thanks to subtitles, I think he says, tyranny requires, and then, of course, he shuts it off because he doesn't want the people to hear. We're, we're about to get that manifesto, man. It's it's coming. <laughs> and I, that might be the final push for him. Or could it, dude, oh, my God. Imagine he, like, let's just say Andor's already bought into the rebellion. He's in. But then he opens that up and plays. It just says, like, the final close, closing. And it's a, just a voiceover heading right to the end of the episode. You know, a movie. Set up for next, I, what is that? Tell me. Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 1. At the very end, it is. Oh my God, two. you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's exactly it's what tough. it is. Yeah, and they um, play uh, "Ain't No uh, Mountain High Enough." What a good song! It's very good. It's very good. I, that 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 is a good movie. I tend to underrate that movie um, more very than well. I should. Yeah, there. Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to say, and I can't remember. Sorry. So it's okay. No, no, no. You're good. I went off on my little. So yeah, I think thing. I think with this finale, there are a couple things that are going to get in the way. That could get in the way, I should say. Making Nimic's manifesto be like a middle of the fight motivating scene kind of thing. That could be tough. Ooh, what were you gonna say? That would be bad. I was just gonna say I thought of my thing. I'm trying to I was trying to think of how this lines up with Rebels because Re- Rebels takes place like within the rebellion and you know, like when do things become public and whatnot. Um, and I do think if it the rebellion becomes public in this episode in this finale it would line up pretty well since this takes place over the course of a year. Sure. I think it would line up pretty well. Of like the empire knows, okay, we're kind of dealing with a, a bigger thing here. Right. Right. Yep. I'm with you. So um, I think what could get in the way is Minix manifesto being a forced motivation for Andor. And it, it's just, it, it, it would be so out of place. I feel like, I mean, they, they reintroduced it here. So I don't know. We'll see. They, it's all about execution, right? I think an action, sequence could you know kind of distract from the story they're telling a little bit and that's some star wars stuff maybe a little longer runtime um with this one could help that out we hope yeah i because i do think that they need a big action set piece i mean this is disney this is star wars at the end of the day and the spy shit is always cool right soldiers versus spies Mm -hmm. always dope um but you know just don't let it distract from the actual story you're telling and as far as post-credit predictions i have a very likely one I have a kind of likely one, and then I have a long shot dream. Okay. Oh, give them to me, man. Three rebels that I think could show up in the post credit scene. The most likely, I think, is K2SO. We meet K2SO at the end of this thing. Sure. Yeah, we've actually reprogrammed an Imperial droid, Alan Tunic. Um, that'd be sick. Um, O'Shea Jackson. I've been calling for him. Oh, um, you know, I'm just getting started. Having him show up at the end of this season as Andor's next journey is with O'Shea Jackson. We've seen that work time and time again in this show. That could be a very cool, cool way to tie it back in Obi Wan, right? Cal Kestis would be so sick to show up and just be mm-hmm. that Jedi presence in the rebellion. I know it brings Jedi into this, but Cal Kestis <laughs> is different, dude. It's just different. <laughs> You and Kleinfeld. Kleinfeld has been predicting Cal Kestis to show up in like every project since so the bad. Book of Boba Fett. I think I it's, it or maybe so even Mando. Bad. I don't know. That Ugh. that's that's funny. That's funny you bring that up. I think I do think K two S O is going to be a particular arc, uh, one of the four arcs in next season. Uh, but I could see it at the at, as a tag here at the end. 
Um, O'Shea Jackson would be sick. That one I could see working. I, I just it's one of those things where I don't know if they're gonna do it just because I don't know how interactive these shows have been. Like Obi-Wan is still kind of tied more to that Mando universe, even though it's outside of it, but it's Deborah Chow who came from Mando. Go ahead. I think O'Shea Jackson having just a little appearance, like, hey, I want you to meet this guy. We're gonna you're gonna be working with him for a little mm-hmm. while. If Luthen says that uh sets them up together i think he would have yeah. the same impact mel she has had because oh we know that guy how right, cool. right right you know what i mean i i think so too yeah i think it could absolutely work um can i can i give my little yeah, uh, yeah, if, yeah, if i had to course. predict the character showing up why do you think we have you on here i, I, I don't know man maybe you just want to kick around your ideas with me which i'm i'm always for that <laughs> no, um, i want to hear your brain <laughs> my prediction for the tag here matt i'm not gonna lie to you man I lost it for a sec. I want to see if it gets back to me. See, this is where the sickness comes into play, folks. Sure, sure. Um, flu mind, <laughs> flu brain. It's good stuff for sure. Um, you know what? I, I think I officially, I think I officially lost it, man. I think maybe, a, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll put. It's no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I thought of it while you're going through yours. I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool. But then I got caught up on Calcast. So I was like, is it a rebels thing? Is it a cool. rogue one thing? Is it a uh, Jedi it thing? Imperial mm, thing? Oh, it was an imperial thing. Thank you so much, Matt. You're the best co-host. It is uh, Krennic from Rogue One. Yeah, yeah that'd be sick. I, I want. I think he's going to be in season two just because of the Death Star setup. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, God, I think that'd be such a cool tease of just like you know, like hey, we have a problem, and just he comes in, and I'd love to see him be a badass again, like we've seen him in Rogue One. But he kind of weakens at the end, of course, and then dies. So, Jalen Urso, another candidate on the board. Uh, for sure. Oh you know, man, like you start bringing I, the I don't know how much this. and or meeting him would play. They knew each other, right? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think they knew each other. And or um, knew of dev- Yes, yes, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, but just <laughs> even like a mention. Oh, oh boy. Oh guys, he, man, I just got so excited. Here we go. Here we go. We get Here the we reveal that what they've been building in the prison is the Death Star. And we get that reveal through some sort of technical conversation like, oh, here's what we're doing. We're building a big weapon. And then around the corner comes Mads Mickelson. Here's our lead engineer. <laughs> it's just one shot. Yeah. Like, like, like we, we all think they the reveal is. Oh, what they were building is the Death Star. And then just from the back, last scene, they reveal, here's our lead engineer, Jalen Urso. That would be so cool. Thank and you know what? I th- Some kind of Rogue One tie would yeah, work yeah, because yeah. it's Tony Gilroy. Like, yes. more so than any other thing, as much as I would love O'Shea Jackson, like, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, like, and Tony Gilroy could talk him into it. Oh, I mean, talk him in. I don't think many of these guys, especially from Rogue One, need to be talked into it because, I mean, that movie is just spectacular. But, uh, oh, that would be sick. There's a lot of potential, Matt. I, I don't I don't even know if they're gonna do one. I think they should. I think it's it's definitely set up to, but we'll see. I I honestly didn't even think about a post credit until being on this podcast with you just now. That's what I want. <laughs> I'm I've decided that's what I want. It'd be so cool. Like <laughs> it would be such a cool double reveal. Like the reveal of them, they were building the destiny right. the whole time, and then just a quick little pop in by Matt Mickelson. I think it'd be sick. Or or Krennic, even for that matter. Um Mm-hmm. Well, there we go, guys. Next week, Andor finale with me, Jack, and David um, on Wednesday. Very excited. Um, this is a long episode, and uh, <laughs> we uh, we we have a long review here, which is very fun. Um, and coming up next, we have a very long draft. But there's reason. This is the MCU Phase Four draft. 
What if I told you we were putting a team together? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, welcome back to another edition of the Direct Draft. David, this is one of our bigger drafts we have done this year. It's our second in our Phase 4 series. We uh, recently did a bracket of the best uh, Marvel Studios episodes, um, where Loki Episode 6 won out. But today, we'll be doing more general title, I guess, the Phase 4 draft where we will be drafting different characters and scenes from phase four i'm here david's here obviously and we got some big guns to help out a couple all-stars over at the direct.com the first one a man that doesn't need much introduction he's a staple of this podcast the man the myth the legend the machine richard nebbins richard how we doing good 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 to see you matt david glad to be here and uh what a way to wrap up phase four this should be a fun draft Absolutely. I'm very excited. And our second guest, the man I probably discourse the most with, with the universes you love. Um, He's the machine that makes the direct go. Ladies and gentlemen, superstar Russ Milheim. Russ, how we doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. Um, Like I said, I talk to you about every single thing that comes out. You're (laughs) one of the first people I go to to chat with about different things. And Yet, despite how much we talk, I have no idea where you're going in this draft. And I love that. And I love that suspense. Very excited to have you on here. Thank you for joining us today. Guys, we have the phase four draft. It is going to be four of us, five rounds, fantasy style. We'll be drafting one of each of these categories. A hero from a MCU phase four movie. A hero from an MCU phase four series. An MCU phase four villain an MCU Phase 4 supporting character, and a little fun, a little additive here, one action scene from Phase 4 each. So, hero from a movie, hero from a series, villain, supporting character, action scene. I think the best thing to do is to hop right into it. Richard, Russ, Matt, David is your draft order, snake draft, of course. David, real quick, how we feel about the turn? I feel good about it. I, uh, I'm actually kind of excited. I've never been in this position where we've done this before. I don't think in any uh, the direct podcast draft of any kind. Um, but okay. now with it being the fantasy style draft, where mm-hmm. we kind of get to pick and choose a little bit, I enjoy the strategy of this style of draft uh, probably the most of the kind that we do. Um, and I think that turn even is an extra additive because I can kind of see where you guys go with the first three to kind of pick and choose where I want to go. And sure. uh I've got I've got some big ones I really want. So we'll see if they land to me uh there at four and five. Richard, he's gonna steal my picks, man. I just know it. <laughs> I just know I have it. to get you back from stealing Deadpool from me two years ago. I'm still a little bitter about that. You're <laughs> that's a good one. That was fun. Uh that was a MCU phase four anticipation draft. Deadpool never showed yep. up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, get it till we... maybe phase six. <laughs> yeah, right. Here we go. Machine, you're gonna start us off. You can pick from any category you want. The 101 pick of the MCU Phase 4 draft. Where are we going first? All right. Pick 101. Now, this was – I was telling you guys earlier, this is a tough one to have the number one pick on because there's so many options, and you have to have some strategy because there are some big guns that I really want later on the board, but I think they might stay there. So what I'm going to do is my first pick, I'm going to go action scene because I'm not sure there's as many – Big guns in that one, but I'm going to go with the biggest gun I got on that one. I'm going to go Shang-Chi, the bus scene. I I can't go anywhere else if you're picking action scene. That is arguably 
one of the best action scenes that we have in the MCU. You know, usually when you look at MCU scenes, a lot of times they have a lot of cuts, a lot of jumps and everything. This one from Shang-Chi really doesn't have that. And it's just a ton of really good action, a lot of great fighting, a lot of great stunts. Simu Liu and the Sun team and Destin Daniel Cretton did an incredible job with that scene. It's probably the standout scene of that movie. And I love it. I can still picture it in my head almost a year later, over a year later. So I'm going to go with the Shang-Chi bus scene from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I didn't see you go in action scene first. That was number one on my list, though. I think it's a good pick. I think that if you are if you feel light about action scenes, the bus scene is a safe bet just because it has everything you want. Energy, choreography, good music, etc. Russ, before you make your pick, what are your thoughts on the bus scene from Shang-Chi? Like you two, it was it was my number one. I figured it was probably going to go pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I, you know, I have other picks. I'm very confident, but I knew that one was gonna that exactly. was gonna go real quick. Sure, yeah, it's a good one. So Russ, with the bus scene off the board, your number one pick here in the first round. So I'm gonna go with TV Hero, uh, and I'm gonna pick one that I feel like everyone has as well, uh, Miss Marvel. Sure. Yeah, um, I think she's it. She's fantastic. Um, one of the best new additions to the MCU. And, and, you know, I wouldn't have seen myself saying this like a year or so ago, uh, because, you know, you got her powers, which were a little bit of a controversy for me. And I still feel like the changes were unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. But when it comes to the actual character and the actress behind her, it is near flawless. So. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good pick Russ. This is probably the character you and I have chatted about the most. Um, in the MCU, yeah. and to see just Amon Viani's performance turn so many people on her side um, after that show, I think is just a really awesome thing that she's able to bring to the MCU. I think it's a good pick. David, uh, series hero off the board here in the first round. Um, one of the deeper categories just by volume. What are your thoughts on Miss Marvel going first? Matt, what have we done? These are two very intelligent picks. I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, like both these picks a lot because I think they have great value for where they are. I like the idea of like picking out of a smaller pool, which I believe both these have when it comes to the big guns. I feel like there's so many more options with other some a few of the categories. I mean, think about villain, how many areas you can go with that. Um, so great pick so far. And I'm a little nervous how my team's going to end up here at the end of the at the end of the round slot. <laughs> for sure. And that turn, I think, is going to. uh be very valuable here um, because those are two very top tier picks. David, I don't think you're going to get any happier as we go along. Um, I, I have, I have a pick here. There's one category that I do think is the shallowest for me, as far as like people I really want on my board, but I'm the way this draft has gone with action scene going in the first round, something I didn't anticipate. Um, I'm going to pivot here. I'm going to go to a different category that I think is deeper, but it has a clear cut, 101 somebody that if i can get them on my board i need them on my board um it's supporting character it's spider-man no way home it's andrew garfield's peter parker um here at supporting character and you know this isn't this isn't one of those plays where it's going to look great on the graphic which it is it is going to look great on the graphic but um i think i look at the supporting character list i think this is the strongest list on this board for sure just because it's built the mcu so deep I don't think anybody on my supporting character board has such as big of an impact 
on their respective project as Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. In the grand scheme of things with Spider-Man No Way Home, a lot of moving pieces, very busy movie. He plays an average size role when you look at the grand scope, but that role he plays is, I think, that thing that pushes No Way Home over the edge um, from great to amazing. And that, no pun intended, and that is, you know, can they make it work? Can they bring in these two other characters from these other franchises and integrate them into the MCU? Tobey Maguire plays a huge role in that as well. I think it's his best performance as Peter Parker, um, but it's Andrew walking through the portal first. It's Andrew stealing scenes anytime all three of them are together. It's obviously the MJ scene where are you okay? Are you? And then, you know, ar- arguably the best line in the movie, Spider Huddle, I love you guys. Like he steals every single scene he's in and makes a huge impact. And I think Andrew Garfield is one of the biggest reasons Spider-Man No Way Home is in that top five conversation. And that's a very coveted conversation to be a part of. Even if it's not your top five, you can talk about it, which is huge in the MCU. So Garfield's Peter Parker's the pick here at the 103 supporting character. Um, David, before you make your pick, your reaction. Great pick. Um, I think this, just to kind of tease mine a little bit, opens the No Way Home floodgates, which to me is the <laughs> 101 for phase four, the best film, the best story. Um, the movie that got the most attention and I think deserves the most attention. My number one movie for the MCU of all time. So yeah, great pick. I think Andrew Garfield's a fun one because he does really fit in so as a supporting character, whereas mm-hmm. those Tasm movies didn't work as well, let's say, um, with him in the lead role. But like him fitting in as that kind of middle brother is such a great, delightful treat to watch for 45 minutes in No Way Home. So yeah. Excellent pick. He's definitely like top tier supporting character because it's like you're almost cheating a little. It's mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, he's exactly. one of the best actors living. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, great pick. I love it. A couple of those opportunities here in this draft for supporting characters that, you know, would be a main character in any other draft. Oh, yeah. Here you go. Cool. David, uh, you end out the first round, kick off the second. Your first round pick first, though. Uh, so, like I said, busting open the No Way Home floodgates. I'm taking Tom Holland's Peter sure. Parker hero movie. Um, him and in terms of acting, Letitia Wright and Tom Holland give off the best lead performances in my mind uh, in Phase 4. But to me, Tom Holland's was actually probably even better than Letitia Wright, even though hers is amazing as well. Um, he really steps into this role, unlike I actually ever expected, starting in Civil War. Like, he... His tone shifts in this film. We see that real break, that real change, that real Spider-Man origin that we're used to. And everything that happens, we just talked about Andrew Garfield's supporting character, all the villains coming, Tobey Maguire. All of it is for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Peter, Peter one's Peter is still the main driving character. Everything else is awesome. But the beauty of No Way Home is that Yes, there's super cool action and fan service, but it all is for the character. It all develops him. And with that being said, number one, first round pick, very excited. Yeah, I think it's well-deserving. It was my next pick. Um, I think that, you know, it's it's the best decision that movie made was making sure that this was still a Tom Holland movie um, and his Peter Parker Got his flowers when he needed them most. Richard, your first reaction spot here on the podcast. Your thoughts on Tom Holland as the first hero from a movie off the board. I'm not mad at it at all. I mean, Tom Holland, this is easily his best performance in the MCU. To me, 
it's in the conversation for probably top five performances in a single movie in the MCU ever. It's, I mean, him and Andrew Garfield are big, big reasons that that Spider-Man's my number one movie in the MCU ever. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, And it's clearly, like you guys said, top five MCU conversation from pretty much everybody. Um, Holland just absolutely brought everything he had and then some Mm -hmm. um, from, from start to finish. And like David said, you can see the evolution from his first moment in Civil War to Homecoming through the rest of his MCU performances. And he gave a top-notch performance in this movie. I can't argue with that pick. Yeah, it's hard to do it. David, on the snake, you get to kick off our second round. You got a hero off the board. Where are we going next? Yeah, on the turn, um, I'm heading towards a more shallow area, I believe. Um, and I'm sticking to No Way Home. Uh, these are my picks that I kind of wanted right here. And uh, with action scene, I'm going... Uh, the happy apartment fight, I guess is what you would call it. Oh, the Spidey um, Sense fight. Oh, the yeah. Spidey Sense fight. Um, you start, start, just go watch No Way Home yeah. and start at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and you will not put down the remote. You will not leave the couch because the second Peter turns that corner and his like Spidey Sense is going off, which is maybe, maybe the best live action use of the Spidey Sense we have ever seen. Actually, it is. I'm not even going <laughs> to say maybe. It definitely is in No Way Home. Like, it is on full display. And he he rats out Goblin. And then just the incredible choreography we get in that apartment scene between Peter and Goblin, leading to eventually Aunt May's death. It is a brutal fight scene. Amazing in terms of just Spider-Man and web climbing and using his webs and copying PS4 Spider-Man. It's amazing. Like... <laughs> We, I watched on guys did like the behind the scenes uh, choreography, like them setting up that scene and all those like stunt guys trying to like plan out how it's going to look mm-hmm. so much thought never went into it. And I think it works so well for a pivotal scene because it leads to the pivotal moment, obviously, of Aunt May dying and what what all that means for us the story. So that's what I'm going with the, I guess, happy Hogan apartment fight scene, whatever you want to call it. It's going <laughs> to be tough scene. to label. We're going to have to work <laughs> on that a little bit. We're going to have to workshop. May's what fight. What was that? Amaze death. Yeah, and amaze death. Yeah, it's it's the build yeah. up to it. you get so much with that scene, right? You get the Spidey sense, you get the one on one with him and Goblin, you get a few other you know quick shots of the other villains, and also Marissa Tomei running down those stairs in a panic. Like that's it. It builds so much suspense. Like you know, quick cutaways of those smaller characters can take out. I think it adds there. I think it's a great scene. Um, I agree. Best Spidey sense uh, scene in. All Spider-Man movies, the hair sticking up in Infinity War is, you know, electric. But um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and obviously Spider-Man one with the lunch tray, you know, all time um, moment in movie history. But uh, Russ, what are your thoughts on the Spidey Sense fight um, from No Way Home? I mean, it's a great pick. Um, I think you guys are right on every uh, point, especially, you know, the tension and building up to that emotional, you know, conclusion uh, with AMA's death. But I, I knew, see, like, I knew that a lot of these picks were going to be Spider-Man no, Way, Spider-Man no Way Home. So I was like, I have to really focus on movies that aren't Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, get I think that. all of us did. Yeah, I mean, that's that's three No Way Home picks off the board, um, off the top. And, you know, with it being at least, you know, public opinion, Phase 4's best thing, um, I think that. I think that that makes a lot of sense for those first two rounds to be full of No Way Home. It'll be interesting to see how much of that is left um, in this in this draft. I am up here in the second round. I'm on tilt a little bit. Um, 
I can't risk it. I I, I got to go main character movie. There are three that I very much want. Peter Parker was one of them. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get Black Panther on my board. I'm gonna go to Shuri. I'm gonna go yep. Letitia Wright. I think that um, much like Miss Marvel, there was so much to prove um, with this character, specifically in this movie. Um, and I think that the amount of people I've seen confess that Letitia Wright won them over um, is just a, a, a stamp on her performance, her character arc. There's so much that goes into it. And obviously the tragic loss of Chadwick Boseman is in no way a good thing, but what it produced as far as just the emotion Letitia Wright was able to bring to this character and able to marry her real world loss of her friend, her brother, Chadwick Boseman and her character's loss of her brother T'Challa and just bring that in and not just an emotional way, but a gritty dark way that I don't think anybody expected from this character still with splashes of that Shuri we love throughout this thing. One of the best smiles in the MCU. I don't think anyone's going to argue that with Letitia Wright. Um, So I think that Shuri's character um, overall is, you know, my, I hate to admit it as I'm making my pick, my second favorite in the, in phase four behind Holland, but her, uh, Letitia Wright's performance as well. It's just everything hits with her here. And I, I, I really, really like the pick, uh, David, your thoughts on Shuri heading in the second round. It's RB two, right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> like it, it's, it's an amazing pick. I would have, if I were you, I would have picked it right then as well. Cause I think she had, I think there is a tier drop off after that in terms of lead movie roles, in my opinion, I think, I th- and I think it's from an acting standpoint too, but Tisha Wright and Holland, just, they bring it they in off. these movies. Like they, in, they really step up to the plate and especially the Tisha Wright in a way, because she really had shoes to fill. This was like, I mean, an immense amount of pressure for the movie. And she just kills it. Talked about it on the review. I think the movie's a little bit messy. It's not my favorite. I don't think it's better than the first one. However, her role, Shuri, the character, is far and away the best part for me. Like, she is the MVP. I thought I was going to like Namor more. Um, I still liked him a lot. But Shuri is the MVP of that film. And it's going to make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So, yes, uh, <laughs> great pick. Absolutely. Uh, Russ, here we are here in the second round. You have a series hero off the board. Where are we going next? So I'm going to stay in the same category. Ooh. Uh, is that three in a row now with a hero for the movie? Yep. Yes. I like it. I am going to choose Yelena. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, she's just, she's fantastic. Um, and she was also in a unique spot where uh, I feel like, generally speaking, the idea of Yelena as a character before we knew her wasn't necessarily the most exciting. There wasn't anything to to grab onto particularly, but just like even her first scene in the movie, you know, you immediately, you know, fall for the character. She's great. Uh, she's got great emotional scenes as well. So like um, the, uh, the dinner scene in Black Widow, I know the movie can have its issues here and there, but that's one of my favorite moments in phase four because of just the, the emotion running through that whole scene. Uh, which I think Florence Pugh does a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, um, our uh, co-rookie of the year from 2021, Yelena Belova in Black Widow. Um, I think that she does action and emotion so well. There's one bit I love from her that really makes her an MCU character for me. It's when they get that go bag um, and she takes a bite of that uh, power bar or whatever. And then Tasha goes, how is it? She goes, it's dry really dry <laughs> i'm like that's an mcu line and you just crushed it like like if you can make that work that's how that's how downey made his money like making those kind of lines 
work. So I think that she's a staple in the MCU moving forward. I love the pick. Richard, your thoughts on Yelena being the third movie hero off the board? Uh, again, I can't complain about that at all. Yelena has quickly become one of my favorite characters. Another moment I was just thinking of right after she does the superhero land, when she gets into the, just, <laughs> you know, the, 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 with the flip, the, you know, the, with the hair and the flip. And so the, good, it, man. It's a pose. You're a total poser. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like the accent there. That's, That's more Russia than either of them ever were. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. That was more Red Guardian than anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, but I I I cannot wait to see more Yelena. She's she's gonna be an MVP pick going forward in Thunderbolts and the rest of the the multiverse saga and everything. Can't wait for her. I'll stand on a soapbox and argue she's getting her own sequel in Thunderbolts, and I think that's a really cool thing. Um, Richard, you are here in the second round. You get the turn two picks back to back. Close out round two for us. And last thing on Yelena, she deserves it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, absolutely. so my second pick, um, you know, again, really tough one because there's a bunch of deep categories and you guys have um, gone the hero route. But to me, what I've learned over over the last few years, every great hero needs a great villain. So I'm going to go a little bit different on a pick. I'm going to start with my villain because I've been wanting this pick since we decided to do this draft. And I'm going to go no way home. Green goblin oh david <laughs> I knew someone was gonna say david. It. Sorry oh, about that, buddy. but uh no green goblin literally i've said this so many times in this podcast i started my superhero movie career with the original spider-man toby mcguire willem dafoe back in 2002 somehow i've said this for the past year willem dafoe came into this movie and somehow topped himself from the 2002 spider-man i think he instantly became a top five Marvel villain ever for me with this movie. He was just absolutely terrifying. I think getting rid of the mask was the best decision that this movie could have made. At least, I mean, at least got the the start of it. They let Willem Dafoe act and they let him be terrifying. And uh, just like um, whoever picked the apartment fight scene, um, he got to show how terrifying the green goblin really can be. And I just, I can't, ignore that pick i can't stay away from it i had to get me some green goblin on my team he's amazing i love that david sure i have a take is. but i want to hear from you first <laughs> yeah i mean i i think there was some strategy in the sense that i got the goblin apartment fight where it's like i get him on my team sure. in a sense mm-hmm. but not necessarily pick the villain that was kind of a little bit of a strategy because i think there are some villains i could also pick and be happy with mm-hmm. i do think goblin is maybe willem dafoe in this film is the Biggest heat check villain of all time in the MCU, where literally pulled out of a pocket universe, dropped yeah. in this universe, and just causes chaos, and is just the goblin. Like I right. love it. It no mask. It's just Willem Dafoe being Willem Dafoe, and like being in this role that he was born to be in. Like he's so perfect for it, and just ruins Tom Holland's entire life, and then leaves. <laughs> right, and, and that's <laughs> so, what I, that's what I love about it is that like. He doesn't have this big overarching plan. He's not some new. Like, I mean, he is nuanced in a way, but he's not like some nuanced, like a killmonger or something. Since we can go fast phases, he just comes in and causes complete chaos and leaves. Yeah. So that's where I want to go, Richard. You and I are friends for a long time now. I'm going to be a little critical of your pick here. He is um, very far down on my board. Uh, I personally was not going to pick him. Um, from an action standpoint, from an acting standpoint, like you go back to that first Spider-Man movie, Willem Dafoe's in a different movie than everybody else. 
He just doesn't yeah. understand what movie he's in because he's in a completely <laughs> different one than everybody in a really cool way. Here, you know, there's nothing wrong with Green Goblin in this movie, but he has that thing that I think makes some other MCU villains bad is where his motivations aren't just weak. They're non-existent. Like, why why is he doing anything he wants to do? Because he's evil. And what, what's unique about No Way Home is that doesn't take away from the movie for me at all, because that's not what the movie's about. Their motivations, right. they, they found different stakes for the villains with the universe jumping. So that's my only critique with Green Goblin being the first villain off the board. Not that it's a bad pick over. Overall in this draft, him being the first off the board is where I have a little bit of an issue, Russ. Yeah, so I wanted to jump in and actually back you up, Matt, and just that, like, obviously, I mean, Norman, Norman's great. Uh, Willem Dafoe's performance is awesome. Um, but I, I do agree in that. I don't know. I don't think it's the strongest um, kind of, you know, rounded uh, character mm-hmm. in the MCU or in Phase 4. Because um, I think a lot of that heavy lifting was from the first Spider-Man movie. Right. Uh, and I don't think uh, No Way Home did anything to, to particularly enhance that, which, you know, it's argued that they don't need to uh, because, you know, he's already great as it is. And they utilized him perfectly, but I, I felt like totally they were fair. better picks. Totally fair. And villain is, I will admit, a deeper category than most in this draft. And and that's and that's really what it is. I don't I don't hate the pick at all. I just hate it being the first off the board because I do think that there's some other way. I think you could have gotten right. Green Goblin later because of David's Fair pick enough. with the Spidey. But you never know with David, man. You know he exactly. Went, he that almost went triple Spider Man in our last draft. <laughs> like <laughs> that's my main worry is David. That's yes. that's my thinking. You got my on head the other head. side of the draft. We're worried about David stealing Green <laughs> Goblin. That's insane. <laughs> That is insane. Um, here we go. Uh, first villain off the board. Um, Richard, we're going back to you. Round three, kick us off. All right, round three. So I need main characters from both and a supporting character. Um, God, this is tough. Um, I'm going to go debating between two categories. I think I'm going to go with main character from a TV show. Um, cause I think that one isn't maybe quite as deep sure. as, as some other categories. It does have some great picks though. And I am going to go with the beginning of phase four, one of our personal favorites. Sorry, Matt, Wanda Maximoff. Sorry, buddy. I mean, <laughs> it's the Scarlet Witch. It's WandaVision. It's, it's. It's everybody's favorite Disney plus show. It's what got the MCU back after 18 months away. And, uh, you know, and Elizabeth Olsen just killed it every episode. That series, it still rings, still rings well with people. I know you're probably going to want to kill me, Matt. Probably want to want to hex me out of here. I got to take Wanda. Sorry, buddy. It's just I, I had your character written down. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I already wrote down what I thought you were going to pick, knowing who you are and how much you love another guy. Um, obviously, it's a great pick. Russ, thoughts on Wanda <laughs> being the second? My big question. Role. Is she a hero? That's a great question. Uh, I think anti-hero well, exactly. at the least. You know, because I think in Phase Four she's definitely portrayed. Uh, you know, anti-hero slash villain. Like she's kind of left the hero category for now. I'm sure she'll be back eventually, but yeah. I do think that Phase Four is about kind of her turn to the dark side, as it were. So I, the reason I'm comfortable with her in the series category is I, I put hero just, you know, just a little cleaner to read, but it's really main character from a series. Right. And, you yeah. know, you can call it anti-hero, I think. But another thing is like, I think she pops up at another cat in the villain category as well. You know what I mean? Not to spoil any picks, but I do think she pops up there as well. So um, I think it's a great pick. Uh, 
what a masterful show, what a masterful performance. You talk about top performances from phase four, Holland, Letitia Wright, and Elizabeth Olsen. Like, you know, that's that's a masterclass in just, you know, taking a comic book property and adding a lot of really awesome acting uh, to it. Um, So, yeah, Wanda off the board in the third round. Very pissed about that on my part. It changes (laughs) my strategy in a very big way. Um, Russ, (laughs) we're heading into the third round here. Your third pick. So my third pick, I I think I might have to uh, lean more into a strategy. Uh, And I think... I don't think this because I know you had pointed out before that uh, for action scene, we, you don't necessarily want it to be the whole final act. Uh, so this might be on the on the verge because sure. I think you can limit like a like a section of it. Uh, but I would say the you know the Statue of Liberty with the three Spider Man as right. they're taking down the villains. So obviously that's like that's like the whole last act, but particularly when they're fighting uh, together, which really is only about like ten minutes before Holland yeah. takes over and then fights Goblin and whatnot. Yeah, I it's think like the moment I was just gonna say it's like the moment when they jump off, like I love you guys. Start yeah. there. And, and then you up, see yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. see them all like interact with each other, with right. the villains. Uh, and then even at the very end, you kind of get that brief moment with the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like McGuire has a moment with Doc Ock and Garfield with Electro. But, right. Yeah. Like, I think it's a it's a little bit of a cheat code. Sorry, it's a little bit of a cheat code because like, you know, you look at you look at a screen from that fight, you think the rest of the movie. I do think it cuts off though when we get to the shield and it's gone. So then but, but if we do want to say that that is a too much, I do have a backup that I'm very confident in as well. So it's up to you. I'm totally comfortable with like in I'm my mind it's going to cut off at uh Holland versus Defoe. Um like, yeah, like that's that's when in. the next action scene starts, but people voting they're they're gonna think i think it's a good pick i think it's a value pick um and so you know once we're done i do want to give an honorable mention to my two other action picks that like i want to say but i have to wait yeah for sure that's the best part of the the honorable mention. that's the best part (laughs) of definitely always (laughs) is for sure uh david statue of liberty fight the second no way home fight off the board which is again something i didn't expect makes sense uh no i expected it fully i think no way home is a shining star of phase four by a mile in my everyone in my has to have spider-man on their on their sheet somewhere right yeah, yeah. need it I, I genuinely think you need it and we do um so with yeah we do and uh one thing on that is that just in that sequence right it's a kind of an action sequence we're talking about here when it goes from them trying to fight together oh, i don't know how to do this i've never worked as a team well i'm an avenger and then they jump <laughs> off like that progression, that progression of going from not knowing how to work together to then the swing in, you know, symphony, the Holland twists both them off their webs, which is a, a little moment that I the best. literally lost my mind at in the theater because I couldn't believe what I was witnessing and yeah. the land and then go from there. Like, it's such a beautiful symphony. Um, that's a celebration of Spider-Man to me. Uh, and I'm hyping up Russ's pick. This is what happens when we talk about No Way Home. Sure. It's just a celebration of Spider-Man, and it's just so damn good. Um, so, yeah, excellent pick. I love it. I think it does definitely count because I think it, it's it's that moment, right? It is that scene in my mind. Like, I know there's a lot going on, MJ and the lizard and all this stuff, but <laughs> it, it really is that scene. So, yeah, good pick, Russ. I like it a lot. Yeah, I think it's a great pick as well. Um, here I am in the third round. I'm in an interesting spot. Action is totally booked up. So I'd be silly to pick an action scene um, anywhere other than my last pick, right? And but the other the other downside, me and David both have the other two categories open. 
And I, <laughs> I need to I need to navigate where David's going to go with his picks um, <laughs> as we move in to the third and fourth round. Um, I'm stalling. I'm stalling. Can I say so one thing, Matt? Please give me as much. Time I know as exactly you're where I'm going. If you don't pick this person, that doesn't make me feel any better. That, that, that's not better by any means. Um, it wasn't to help you. I was just yeah. letting you know. God, I wish you didn't take one. Total psych out move by David. Damn. No, you picking one is the psych out move, Dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, that okay. was that was definitely a Matt Rimke third rounder right there. I mean, it was locked in. It was. A, I thought. Uh, anyway, anyway, um, I think villains a little deeper. I'm gonna head over to my main character from a series. I am taking the other co rookie of the year from 2021. The, I think the best um, characterization we got in Phase Four, and I think it's Kate Bishop. Haley Steinfeld from Hawkeye. Um, she is a magnetic force on screen. She's got kind of a Garfield effect where like just her personality does steal scenes time and time again. Um, when Hawkeye ended, I did claim that I think Haley Steinfeld could be like the next RDJ of the MCU, not in utilization as far as like her being the centerpiece of the universe, but every word she says, I think just puts a smile on my face and she has range and she has comedy and she has action and she's got all the things I want out of an MCU character in spades. Um, plus, you know, just her, like, you know, her story, her characterization, like I said, it's just so well done, especially as a huge fan of the Matt Fraction Hawkeye comics. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. It's a small comic book that uh, Matt Fraction wrote. Um, but <laughs> I read that on my honeymoon and I was just enthralled by this Kate Bishop character I had never met before. And I think what she does in this show just is such a stamp on Disney plus and what they can do with characters. Obviously we saw Wanda go from C tier to a tier. Same thing with Sam Wilson and Bucky and Loki. They all jumped tiers. I think she was introduced at a high tier, which is uh, something that we didn't see from Disney plus the first character introduced on Disney plus from Marvel studios um, as a main character. So I'm going Kate Bishop here in the third round. Um, uh, who, uh, Russ thoughts on Kate Bishop. I mean, I she would be right underneath Miss Marvel, for, or she, not she would, she was right underneath uh, Miss Marvel on my list. So if Miss Marvel had been taken, Kate Bishop would have been where I I jumped to. Um, but no, yeah, she's she's awesome, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of surprised that we don't really have any idea when we'll see her again next. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. obviously the Avengers are we're always like, okay, everyone's gonna show up, but besides that, we don't really know where she might pop up next. So it's exciting stuff, exciting times ahead. Um, for Kate Bishop in the MCU. David, we close out the third round. Kate Bishop off the board. I went series. So where are you going next? Well, I got two back-to-back. Um, the one person I teased earlier is a villain. It is Namor. Um, it's Tenoch Huerta. And uh, this might be prisoner of the moment, um, but yeah. I thought he was stellar. <laughs> I thought namor in general was awesome i'm happy to get uh black panther on my board yeah um and in general i think that he was the opposite and just in a a different way i don't mean in a better or worse way he was the opposite of goblin those things we talked about earlier he was well fleshed out yes we saw his whole story we saw his whole underwater kingdom and it was beautiful it was awesome it was an awesome namor story beyond everything else just focus on that character it's a good Namor story. I do think I was critical and I still am critical. I do think he's kind of 
quick, but we, we get explanation for maybe why he's so quick to like want to just kill someone and not, and you know, no kind of no nonsense and can't really be like, I don't know, swayed a little bit. And we kind of just jump into like um, battle without, I think a ton of thought through. However, I do think this is a great addition to the MCU. I'm glad we may get him more in the future. And I think it's a strong pick because he was one of my favorite villains and he end capped phase four as well. And I feel like the way they used utilized him was great. And um, he could be in phase five, phase six. It opened up the underwater world, which is a magical moment in the movie. What do you think, Richard? If I may say so, sometimes you got to run before you can walk. <laughs> yeah. Right. <Whoa>. right. <laughs> Don't even start. 20, 2008. <laughs> I had to run. That's a, that, that's the first thing that came to my mind when you when you were talking about that. But then just awesome. just real quick, just real quick on Namor, he was awesome. I absolutely love what Tina Schwartz did with the role. I mean, Namor's a character we've been looking forward to for a long time. I mean, you know, I know we had the rights issues keeping him out of the MCU for a while, but I'm so happy we got him and a great pick from Black Panther too. Yeah, uh, I think that um, you know, prisoner of the moment. I I think he's above that. I think he is a, you know, a substantial villain in phase four. I think he's one of the reasons, you know, a lot of people feel like phase four ended on a make um, because he was able to fill in those Killmonger shoes and, you know, to step in as an elite level villain narratively. And then also his power set has just been, you know, people love it and it's fun to see. And it's another very powerful player on the MCU roster. I like the pick. Um, Not where I thought you were going, but here we are. And um, we now we move into. You can't seem to guess anyone's actions. Well, I mean, <laughs> the one thing will fluster me place. until the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll talk about it more once we're done. There's uh, still a series here yet to be picked, but I'm blown away by David by uh, Richard's pivot there. So we'll talk about that <laughs> as we move along. But uh, David, fun. fourth round, two categories left for you. Um, I do want to point out there's only one supporting character off the board. Yep, I, uh, I have noted that, and I'm going with Hero um, of, a, of a series. That's crazy. So I'm going Hero series, and uh, I'm going with Loki. Tom Hiddleston in the role. Um, Loki is my favorite MCU show so far, Disney Plus series. It's still the one of one for me, and a big reason for that is Tom Hiddleston in this character. Um, I do think he does become a hero in this show uh, to kind of talk about like hero main character. We had that debate earlier about Wanda. I think Loki, Loki truly is the hero. I love how he gets kind of brought back down to like ground zero after like seeing his life play out. Um, I guess on Earth 616, we can call it now. And yeah. in yeah. general, I just thought it was such a strong performance and also just such an interesting take on what a character could be in the MCU. Like, it's about the multiverse of Loki. I'm talking about Tom Hiddleston specifically, not Sylvie, but still like the different Lokis, how you manage that, what it means to be you, like what's your identity in, in a sense as well as, you know, along with this awesome time traveling sci-fi adventure that I thought was amazing. So yeah, I'm going hero series, Tom Hiddleston's Loki. I love it. Uh, Richard, your thoughts on Loki here. A great, great pick. And especially because, we get some veteran presence in the MCU. Hiddleston is one of the longest standing actors in the MCU. He's one of the best actors in the MCU that we have. And Loki, you know, it's really funny. Never, it's not never that Loki was on the low end of my shows for me, but it's really 
grown on me over the last year as I've watched it through a couple more times. Um, Tom Hiddleston brings it. And that entire show has really grown on me more and more with each rewatch. I think I've rewatched it like two or three times. And you can't complain about Hiddleston. I hope he sticks around the MCU forever. Absolutely. I think that obviously Tom's going to bring what he brings to the character. And Loki's somebody we've known for over a decade now. And somebody we've all fallen in love with um, in a Game of Thrones kind of style. We hate him. We love him. We hate him. We love him. Um. I spoke with Michael Waldron um, as that movie was coming out and that scene where Loki realizes his future and sees that glorious purpose doesn't really mean anything to him. And uh, Michael Waldron had a really awesome comp with that, that apparently they pulled from Toy Story there where Buzz Lightyear sees the Buzz Lightyear commercial and realizes he's just a toy. And he's laying there with his arm over his head and they're playing a song. I forget what song it is, but it's a really good one. Randy um, Newman, I remember, but I can't remember the name. Yeah, but I forget the actual song it was because it's good, but it's Newman, of course. I mean, goat. But um, yeah. I think that is such a poignant moment early on in the show. My only critique on Loki as a pick here over some other characters left on the board. I think the show becomes less and less about Tom Hiddleston's Loki as it goes on. And I think like that is one, you know, negative I have to say about that character is by the end of it, you know, he is, you know, in the mix with everybody else as far as most important characters. But other than that, I think it's a great pick. It's also going to look really good on the graphic, which is um, obviously (laughs) something that we all care about very much. Here I am in the fourth round. My gamble paid off. Um, you did not take the villain I thought you were going to take. Um, I am I am here with the last villain. No, not the last villain. There's a couple villains left to go. So I'm in between a couple here. There's a couple ways to go. Um, I think that the villain I'm going to pick, I think, has the biggest the biggest critique out of all of them. But on the flip side, I think he has the most flawlessness and it's going to be Kang from that same show. It's going to be Loki. I'm taking Kang, the first series villain off the board um the the critique i'll get ahead of it he's in one episode he's in half of one episode there's really not a lot of volume with kang but i think that when you watch that show the looming presence of the mystery um throughout the entire thing who's behind it all who's behind the timekeepers really you know after we get that wizard of oz reveal you know it so much anticipation for who was going to be the person at the end of time and when Jonathan Majors gets on screen, again, just like Haley Steinfeld, just like Andrew Garfield, a presence, an energy. There's nothing he says that we are not gripped onto. And just the char- the charisma that we get from such a creepy villainous character, I think, is just such an impact. And while he is only in the in phase four for 20 minutes, I think that that 20 minutes cemented him as one of everybody's most anticipated characters moving forward. And I think that says a lot. Russ, your thoughts on Kang? Uh, here in the fourth round yeah i was just i mean like so he, he's great uh but i you know i wanted to offer the you kind of touched upon it but you know i feel like that that's like the smallest sliver of a fraction of what kang is yeah. um and also i think most of his time on the show spent was spent kind of the, one of the show's main issues for me uh, is how it's just exposition all the time sometimes that can still be exciting. So like, obviously it's exciting to hear Kang kind of tease basically the multiverse saga, but you know, structurally speaking and on paper, it's just, it's, it's all exposition. Um, so I just don't know. I, I don't think it's the the best demonstration of what that character will evolve to be, uh, which is why I know it wasn't on my top five. 
or for sure. And and I understand. And I, and again, it's a, it's a great critique because we get so little of him, right? But I think that one of the things Marvel Studios does better than any other fandom franchise is that when they do give exposition, they use charismatic and interesting characters to do it. It's never just the kid from Black Adam telling us everything we need to know. It's it's, you know, Kang delivering it in a way where we are interested. And while I agree, this is just a fraction of what we're going to get. The amount of non comic book fans that got excited for more Kang after that promise of wait till you meet my variants. That's that's transcendent. Like if you read the comics, you know who Kang is. But a lot of people don't know who Kang is from the comics. He's a he's a low level. You know, he's in a he's like the third Avengers villain. And the Avengers aren't X-Men, aren't Spider-Man, aren't Fantastic Four. The way he was able to jump into pop culture and, you know, you look what happened to Jonathan Majors after that, man. Jesus, he's he you can't go to a movie anymore without seeing at least two Jonathan Major trailers. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm excited to graphic wise. I think it's going to play a lot. I'm excited to see more of him. I think that's a testament considering how little he was on screen. I do think one thing on it is that he in my mind is similar with Goblin on this draft where it's kind of a heat check and meaning like kind of comes in, hits six threes and then sits because of personal reasons or something. I don't know. Like they just they come in. They're hot. They're not there forever. They only play like 18 minutes, but yeah. they are amazing. Career. In those 18 <laughs> minutes, right? Exactly. Like it's just one of those things where I don't. And the difference I would say is Goblin doesn't have an MCU future, whereas Kang is the MCU's future. Right. Um. So it's a great pick. I think once again, Matt, you've gone towards Kang. You picked him in another another draft. What was that? I'm trying to think. What you basically picked Kang before? He's a Kang fanboy. I am. I mean, who's not right? Like, like (laughs) I I know. And and that's again, you know, I I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit. The amount of people who can't wait for more Kang when we've only gotten 15 minutes of Kang is just it's a lot like Miss Marvel uh, to me, where it's just it's winning over general audiences with a deep cut comic book character. Like like we like people who know who Kang is in the comics know what he means when he says, wait till you meet my variants, conquer. Uh, I met up with my other variants and all that stuff that the line from uh, uh, Quantumania, have I killed you before? Like, we all know what that means because we know the character from the comics and the cartoon um, Avengers Assemble. He's fantastic in that cartoon. But I think I think he got that over with general audiences. And I think that's a huge impact play. Richard, your thoughts on Kang? Uh, he's Clay Thompson's 37 point quarter. If I'm going to do another another analogy, <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week, guys. Come right. on. Um, and and I'll I'll just say this about Kang, he ain't going to be the fifteenth pick any for any of the future phases. I'll tell you that much. He is going to be a perennial at least top five pick um, in phase five, phase six. When we're doing these drafts two, three mm-hmm. years from now, this is the lowest that Kang will be. And it, it's like you said, value. He's only got twenty minutes of of screen time in Loki. What was he? What we what we got was great, and what we're going to get is going to be even crazier. Absolutely. Uh, Russ, um, another reason I picked Kang is because there's no more action uh, scenes on the board for anybody else. So I'm interested to see where you go with supporting character and villain left on your board. So I am going to go with villain. Uh, and I'm going to pick someone that I'm a little surprised hasn't come up yet. But I mean, the other picks are pretty big. So uh, maybe it isn't so surprising. But I'm going to go with Wenwu or the Mandarin from yep. Uh, yep. Shang-Chi. All right. uh, I think, you know, he's fantastic. The actor's... Uh, flawless it was a really good way to 
kind of fix Marvel Studios' mistake with uh, the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Um, and yeah, he's just one of the deeper villains in Phase 3 and a great addition to Shang-Chi's you know, debut in the, MC- in the MCU. Absolutely. Um, another one where performance is really driving the character here. Um, I think even more than the uh, narrative of it, but uh, Win was a great pick. David, your thoughts on Tony Liao uh, getting here in the fourth round. Last villain off the board, Win Wu. Yeah, he was who I expected Russ to take with the final villain choice. Um, now that You're the welcome. thing is kind of uh, up and over, I guess I would kind of con- like to comment for a second that I think we picked the correct ones <laughs> in my head. I think Gore uh, was another kind of heat check in the sense of, you know, comes in, not a lot of playing time, not there a lot, but amazing performance. Um, when we had to go in this draft, <laughs> I would say, because he's he's one that's very fleshed out. Um, it's family at the end of the day and is one of the highlights of that film, which I think is very good. I think it's the best one of the best um, phase four movies. And I think it, I'm trying to think, I think I think it is the best in the sense of like kind of an origin, right? It's Absolutely. the best origin story yeah, in sure. phase four, I would say, especially when it comes to a film, right? It was Chang-Chi represents the one new character, the one new thing they put on the big screen that really worked in my mind, right? Did decent in the box office without everything considered. Save the box and office. most people liked it. Yes. Yeah. Save I mean, Labor the box Day 2021. <laughs> that was huge, right? $84 million opening four-day weekend um, at the time was unbelievable, uh, especially when you look at a movie like, you know, The Suicide Squad or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, excellent pick. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm going to raise a question to the group. We're all a bunch of nerds here. Is Wenwu the best origin story villain in the MCU? I'd say at least in the conversation. A conversation, but, uh, and I guess someone could argue maybe that it's not quite origin, but I mean, Thanos in Infinity War. Well, like, yeah, obviously, but... we've seen it before, but I feel like that Infinity War was kind of an origin, just that, like, we see why he does what he does. We actually finally see, like, who this mysterious person is. So it isn't a classical origin, but to me, it felt like, oh, this is who that villain is. I meant more like a hero's origin movie, like the first of a franchise, their villain. Because you look at, Oh, Iron okay. Man, yeah. Thor. It's like Captain America. Like, like you know, lesser than count? villains in the whole. Red thing. Skull isn't in everyone's top five. What's wrong with you? Guys? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> by, hey, by Infinity War, he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <there you> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think Vulture would be the only other. You know, one. Well, you have Killmonger. Well, my. So I, guess, my I guess that's not really an origin, that even really for origin stories. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, it may be the first Black Panther film, but it isn't quite his origin yet. Yeah, exactly. Shang-Chi, yeah. the first uh, the first character introduced in the MCU without being previously teased since Ant-Man. Right. Since wow. Ant-Man. Yeah, that's, what and that villain kind of sucks. <laughs> cross? <laughs> yeah, Cross. Cross, let's just say he wasn't great. <laughs> he wasn't awesome. I'm excited to see him back, though. I think he'd be very cool as Modoc because he does get a little crazy at the end of that thing. Like, I, I, does, I'm going to yeah. disintegrate you. <laughs> like, Modoc would say that for sure. He totally would. <laughs> <laughs> I love the pick. Um, I think it's a good pick. Uh, where are we at? Richard, round four and closing your draft out on the wrap. Only other shout out. I, I gotta give a shout out to Agatha. Uh, I know we'll, we'll talk about her. In the, uh, we'll do on. Yeah, we'll get to honorable mentions. Just had to shout her out for the villains. That's my only one. Um, all right. So I have my last two categories. These are these are also tough picks, but at least they are my last two categories. So I need a supporting character and I need a main character from a movie. So the last one I'm debating between two. 
for my main character for a movie. So I think I'm going to go with the slightly better movie, uh, but I am playing off of the last pick, which might be a little dangerous, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with Simu Liu, Shang-Chi. Yeah. I think he had an incredible performance in Shang-Chi. He's one of the characters that I am most looking forward to seeing for the future. And I think that's also what it is. This is a future pick for me because he is going to be a key player with the Avengers in the Kang Dynasty, in Secret Wars. I think he's got a bright, bright future ahead of him. And and it's it's an actor pick, too, because Simu Liu just loves playing this character. He's wanted to play it for you know three or four years before he was even cast in the role. Um, and I loved what he did in the movie. His action scenes were awesome. I love the way his story developed. And like I said, it's a it's a stock pick for the future also. So I'm going to go with Shang-Chi from The Legend of the Ten Rings. Those are the four uh, movie heroes I expected to go. Um, those are the four. And I think I think we did a good job there. Um, and also Shang-Chi, Yelena um, and Shuri to an extent making kind of their hero debut in, in yeah. all of those movies as well. Obviously, Shuri's been in many movies before, but, you know, getting the powers in this one, I think I think Shang-Chi. And Yelena specifically getting in on this draft um, in a draft full of some returning heroes as well. I think it's a testament to what phase four has done with their rookie class. Um, David, your thoughts on Shang-Chi in the fourth round? A couple of things. Um, I like R- Richard's uh, Shang-Chi stack he's got with the bus and uh, Shang-Chi himself. Yes. Uh, I think it's cool to have back-to-back Shang-Chi selections because I think this movie is a shining star of phase four, especially in the film realm. Um, and yeah, so I think in terms of like how the draft's going, not too surprising, strong pick, very curious. We've got three more supporting characters now, um, for this final round, which I think, I think makes sense because there's a lot of different directions you can go, right? I think there's just so many different avenues you can go down. So I'm very curious where me, Richard and Russ go because I'm on, I know who I want at the end of this round. I have no idea if it's even on their radar for supporting characters. So we'll I see. Have, so I have a lot of choices. So Me too, I don't right? know if I know yet. <laughs> Definitely the deepest category. I still feel comfortable taking Garfield um, in the first round, though, just because I know David would have taken him on the wrap. Um, Andrew Garfield one is one of the best working actors. So yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Definitely. We need we need to get um, Garrett from Agents of Fandom to watch Tick Tick Boom. He's a musical kid. He's never seen it. Richard, can you believe yeah. crazy? Love Garrett. He, that dude is great. And never seen Tick Tick Boom. How great can he really be? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, also a shout out Andrew Garfield. I picked him with the last draft I was on, uh, mm-hmm. our character introductions draft. I, I think it kind of kind of shook the ground up a little bit on that one too. <laughs> Absolutely. So as we move into the fifth round, like David said, three supporting characters about to go off the board. I get to sit back and pick my action scene, which I still don't know which way I want to go. Um <laughs> But here we go, Richard. You get to kick it off. Great strategy by you. You get your pick of the litter here um, in this final supporting character round. And, and I've got a, a couple different choices. There are at least three choices for my supporting character that I haven't that I haven't been picked yet that I can go with. And I'm having such a tough time deciding. I think I'm going the right direction with it. It might be a little bit of recency bias, but. I do need a little bit of Black Panther on my team because that is now my second favorite movie in Phase 4. I'm going to go Angela Bassett, Ramonda. Fuck yeah. Um, (laughs) I think 
She and wow. Shuri, <laughs> she and Shuri were my co-MVPs of Black Panther. Honestly, try MVPs with Namor because all three of them just absolutely. Oh God, I I can't say they killed it because that's messed up. Um, well, yeah, because you know, she died. <laughs> she exactly. Died. But but no, unintended. Um, yeah, um, Angela Bassett gave an incredible performance as Ramonda in this movie. Um, I love the way her character developed in the story and, and her death just hits that much harder on top of, you know, this movie mourning Chadwick Boseman, which is, you know, something we all knew was coming and it still is like a shot in the heart, but having her on top of that, you know, giving her life to save Riri Williams. um, It it just, I didn't see it coming. And I thought her character just did an incredible job in this movie. Um, And I just felt like I couldn't leave her off the board and I couldn't have, couldn't go, my team without having a little bit of black Panther on it. So I hope this works for me, but I'm going to go Ramonda. Yeah. I think it's a great pick. Um, especially if you want to get black Panther on there, um, Russ, your thoughts on Angela Bassett's performance from Wakanda forever. I mean, she's great. Uh, and it, it's, it's just difficult, difficult with my pick because, you know, now it's like, man, Richard, you chose someone who's like integral or integral to the, to the plot, like someone who's super important. I'm like, Oh gosh, none of my characters <laughs> reach this same level of, uh, of importance, but, uh, she's That's definitely, okay. everything you said is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, and, you know, it's sad that, you know, as you said, you killed it, but we'll see <laughs> her again. Hopefully. <laughs> well, we already <laughs> saw her again in this same movie. You know, I mean, That's she true, already but again, out. like after <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, again, yeah, she would probably have the best looking panther in the ancestral plane, right? Oh, absolutely. Like she's dude, Rick, David, I don't no. think we talked about it in our review. She's jacked, man. <laughs> jacked. Hey, you know, that was a big thought of mine while watching the movie. Like, she got huge for this. Literally, my wife, I didn't hear this the first time we saw the movie. My wife told me afterwards that when Angela Bassett came on the screen for this first time, she went freaking swole swole man like natalie portman big those arms were killing it and everything's juxtaposed with how just purely skinny leticia wright is in every facet of series right (laughs) (laughs) you can't put leticia wright next to angela bassett and like it's not gonna do her any favors (laughs) he's working like six four 240 pounds great scene great scene love it um, Queen Ramonda yeah. off the board that closes out Richard's draft. Russ, you get to close out yours here, your supporting character pick. So I'm going to do a last minute pivot. Uh, and you, let me know if this hero um, counts as supporting because there's like right in the line if, if you guys would consider this hero movie or supporting. But I want to pick Riri Williams. Would you consider 100%. her supporting? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Because okay, I, I, I was thinking, I was like, I don't know why uh, no one has this in their hero movie. Or yeah, hero movie category because she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she really impressed me. Um, and as someone who has previously read Ironheart comics, uh, she never really did much for me. Uh, she wasn't impressive of a, she wasn't that impressive of a character for me uh, in any of the content I read. But just even these what twenty minutes total that she was in Wakanda Forever, uh, Dominique Thorne kills it. Uh, makes me excited for Ironheart, and I you know I just want to see her again. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a great pick. It's a late entry. You know what I mean? You know, the last supporting character of phase four. Um, 
Um, obviously discluding, you know, what we're going to get from the Guardians holiday special, which good time to say it. We left out special presentations as a whole because we aren't waiting on Guardians. They're kind of their own different thing. Not enough of them to draft um, here. But um, no, I think Riri, uh, uh, like David mentioned overall in the uh, review that we had, the, the one goal she had was don't take away from the movie. And I think she accomplished that. And then what she adds is all cherry on top. So I, I really like the pick. Uh, David, your thoughts on Ironheart here um, as you are about to pick your sporting character. It was uh, my surprise of Black Panther. It was my biggest concern going in. I thought she was not going to play well. I thought she was going to be kind of that weird Iron Man light role. Uh, but she's her own character. Like she, she, I think um, she really kind of fit in to what the movie was doing. Um, just an interesting new I guess personality in the MCU and especially like with the Wakandans and, and all this. Um, so yeah, she, she was a pleasant surprise. I did think it was interesting how they played her Iron Man suit stuff. Like it, it wasn't dramatic. Like Tony was with the, we, we mentioned it, Matt, in the review, this, there was no suit ups, you know, there was no like Epic suit up. The wheels are turning the nanotech spreading, right? She was just there. And, and I enjoyed that. Like I enjoyed where she just kind of would pop up in each and every suit um and i hope she makes an appearance in armor wars the movie coming out in a few years because i think that would be a really interesting kind of uh take or position where she could be after her series yeah no it's 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 definitely a big bump um here for that character as we move what'd you have russ i just wanted to do a quick shout out to the one of the best lines in all of phase four Oh shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. I was backing up for minutes after. I was like, it's just so unexpected and blunt, and like, I, that's what you would say in the moment. Yeah. yeah also, that that bit she has where she takes down all the papers and just as she's, you know, so angry that right. she's in the situation, how she lights the blowtorch and just knocks it all in, lights it on fire. That was awesome. That was very cool. Also, shout out to uh, right after Shuri becomes Black Panther, and she's like. Can I get me some of that? Shit. A lot of shit. Yes. Uh, a lot of the word shit in Wakata Forever, which I think is cool. <laughs> which no, complaints. Think, no complaints. No complaints. <laughs> um, I think it's a good pick. Here I am. Um, I have action scene left. I'm between two. And I'm I'm teetering between the two of them because if I one of them gives me a different project at each category, which I think is a cool thing to have diversity of projects across the board, mm-hmm. but I think the other one that would double up my projects um, gets a little more fanfare. So I'm 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 kind of in between here. Richard, do I take the one from a project I don't have yet, or do I take the one from the project that's already on the board? You know, going off your way of thinking, I'd honestly say I'd probably go with the one on the board if it's the if that's the better pick because it seems like that that's the way you're leaning. But I know I asked your opinion, and I'm going to go against it, and that's rude. But Fair enough. Anyway, um, it's all good. I'm gonna get Eternals on the board. Um, I'm gonna get the Eternals versus Wondering. Icarus fight. Um, at the end of that good movie, one. um, I think it's the best Superman versus Flash fight we've ever seen and will ever see. <laughs> um, I think that obviously, like you know, I could just talk about the Icarus versus Makari stuff and just rave about how well that's done. I think she's one of the best speedsters we've seen in comic book movies. I think it's her and uh Evan Peters. I think, you know, though that's the competition as far as speedsters go. Um and, you know, that whole one-on-one fight's incredible with the emotion behind it and things like that with the Druid and all that stuff. But then you add in all the other Eternals coming in and doing their part to stop Icarus, which 
I think it's such an awesome moment before that fight where Kingo, he's like, you know, what are we going to do? It's Icarus. We can't stop him. You know what I mean? Like, like they set the level, his power set up so well in the fear that the other Eternals have, which are also very powerful. So I'm going to go Eternals versus Icarus. I'm worried about the pick because there's another action scene on the board that I think uh, gets a little more love, especially now. But um, I, I, I think that is my favorite part of that movie. So I think that adds something to it as well. Uh, David, your thoughts on Eternals versus Icarus before you make your last pick. Yeah, I mean, I was curious. I, I was kind of rooting for it. Eternals not to get it on the board, even though I like Eternals. <laughs> um, I just thought it'd be kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> um, but it does. Um, and like I said, I don't even think Eternals is really a bad movie. I think it's actually pretty overhated uh, for no reason in my mind. It's 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 good, not great. Um, it's a phase yeah. four film. It's different. Um, it's pretty long. And yeah, I, I do enjoy the Icarus twist. Um, so that's like one of my favorite parts about the movie. And yeah, so this fight adds up to me. Now moving on, yeah. uh, final selection of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, rounding it, rounding it out here, Mr. Irrelevant or Mrs. <laughs> Irrelevant, Zendaya's MJ. Let's go. My selection. All right. It's one of those things, man. Go back. Let's, let's, let's just close our eyes for a second. Go back to No Way Home. It's a brisk <laughs> winter evening. Going to see No Way Home. You've been through an emotional journey. You walk into a coffee shop, you're Peter Parker, but no one knows you're Peter Parker. And you've got this whole conversation. Tom Holland's and Dea, they're dating in real life. And it is some of the most powerful acting I've seen in the MCU. Zendaya is a rock star. I'm happy she's on my team. She's been perfect in this role. Her personality is awesome. And I think that end cap of her not knowing, you know, who Peter is and that kind of play back and forth right there is one of the most powerful scenes in the MCU and can make me cry right now. So that's kind of what I'm basing it off of those emotions. I felt uh, while watching that scene and just obviously I already have Tom Holland on the board. So I'm happy to get Zendaya as yeah, well. Good stack. And uh, yeah, that's my final selection. Mrs. Irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, first and only love interest off the board as well. Um, and I think I think that kind of plays to how much they went away from love interest being a main driver of most of these plots. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there there isn't a ton of romance plots that are a plots um, in the MCU in general, but specifically in phase four. Um, so I think that's very cool. Cool pick. It's a good one. And, you know, I, I think the stack with her and Holland on the board together is going to be great. They are going to be divided by Loki on the graphic, which is going to be an interesting visual for people to navigate around. Um, but yeah, guys, that has been the MCU phase four draft. Let me recap and then we'll do honorable mentions going around the board. Um, Richard came away with Shang-Chi, Wanda from WandaVision, Queen Ramonda, Green Goblin, and the bus fight from Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. Russ, you got Yelena from Black Widow, Miss Marvel, Ironheart, Win Wu, and the Statue of Liberty fight from Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, Matt, he landed with Shuri, Kate Bishop, Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker from Spider-Man No Way Home, Kang, and the Eternals vs. Icarus fight from Eternals. And then David came away with Tom Holland's Peter Parker, Loki from Loki, MJ, Namor, and the Spidey Sense fight from Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, Counting it up real quick, one, two, three, four, five, six, six No Way Home picks. Um, three of them on David's team. <laughs> and then uh, Black Panther came away with one, two, just two. I don't know. Three. Wow. Namor, Riri, 
Namor, Riri, Riri yeah. Ramonda. Yeah. Oh, and four. Shuri. Four. Oh, four. yeah. Four. Oh, four. Four. That's good. That, that, that's awesome. Um, okay. I think, I think that's a good testament to the, you know, I think what is going to be considered the top two movies of phase four, at least in a general public sense. Let's go through some honorable mentions. Does anybody have any movie main characters that were left off their board? Hands up. Richard. I'll go give a shout out to Stephen Strange. I like sure. Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the stuff he did. I don't think it was as strong as other performances in the MCU, but I really like what they did with Strange in his, in his second solo movie. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll give a shout out, <clears throat> even though I think the movie uh, is easily one of, if not the weakest phase four film, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. I do think that Jane Foster was yes. great. Um, and, and this is an example of another character who had, did absolutely nothing for me when I read, um, you know, her stuff from the comics, but yeah. just the time that uh, Natalie Portman came on screen, she nailed it. She was great. Even in like a script that has a lot of issues. Uh, she persevered and, you know, made me like the character in a way that I just didn't for the comics. Natalie Portman's such a big part of our lives. I feel like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like since you're a kid, you fall in love with Natalie Portman. Um, um, I gotta go Natasha, just a quick shout out. Um, I think Yelena, you know, overshadowed is not the right word because it's such a different thing, right? Like this was not meant to be a Natasha. Look how great she is movie. This is meant to be a, uh, you know, a eulogy, a goodbye. And I think they, they performed that well with ScarJo just being, you know, a top three important person in Marvel studios history, you know, like, like it's, it's Feige, it's Downey, it's Scarlett Johansson. And I think that, um, uh, that's a good performance here in phase four and a movie that should have came out in 2017. Right. Um, so moving on to the main character series category, Richard, I had Moon Knight written down, man. I cannot I believe you didn't go Moon Knight there. I know. I know. You know, I love Moon Knight. It, it's funny is I do not dislike the series at all. I just don't think Moon Knight hit as high for me as I was expecting it to. But it's also going to be really interesting to see because just like Kate, we have no idea where he's showing up next. And I think that's partly why I, I kind of stayed, stayed away from him a little bit for now. I hope I get to pick him in a future draft. See, I did dislike the series, but Oscar Isaac's Moon Knight is far and away, you know, what carries that series in any relevance. So I just thought yeah. I, I saw how much you love that character. I didn't I, I, I thought you yeah. would go there. But I like him, but not. I don't think enough to have picked him. We're gonna get a lot of shit for not having Oscar Isaac on this draft. We are gonna get a lot. Of I am shit a little sad at all the Moon Knight that isn't here. Me too. Well, As someone who loves the series, yeah. I wanted to yeah. pick an action scene. I'm not sure there is one in that show. I like the finale a lot. That big, the the big final action sequence, the kaiju that. fight. Well, that, but also the Moon Knight on the ground with uh, Layla. Yeah, yeah, I gotta rewatch that. I gotta. Yeah, rewatch that. my. Uh... My hero shout out is just Sam Wilson, Captain oh, yeah. America. Oh, yeah. Um, I almost picked him instead yep. of Loki. And then I'm like, I just enjoyed Loki this series more. But they're like really close to me because I think Sam Wilson's journey in that show is amazing. Underrated. It, it is so good. I mean, go back and just watch that. Like, I think I like that series more than most. I think it gets bogged down by uh, the Flag Smashers and Agent 13 and all those things because yeah. I, I think John Walker's really good. I think Sam Wilson's really good. And I think Bucky's really good. And to me, that's all that really ends up mattering. Um, but the, yeah, then again, there's a lot of there's a lot more surrounding pieces right. in that show. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I want to hop on what David was saying about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And like it is one of my favorite Disney Plus uh Marvel series. 
but it is generally really hated because I think the finale did a lot of damage uh, to the show's reputation and a lot of people's enjoyment of it because, you know, it really fumbled a lot of the landings. It uh, erased most of John Walker's uh, journey throughout Thank the show you. in a matter of seconds, uh, which is really disappointing because I, I think he's one of the best, uh, you know, added supporting characters in uh, phase four if you take away the finale. Um, I always imagine if his last episode was episode five and then we got the post credit scene with him and Val at the end of episode six without him being in the rest of that fight, that would have hit right. so hard, I think. Yeah, it's like him and Bucky are like, you know, throwing quips at each other. I'm like, what's, what's happening? It what happened to my like... tormented sweet baby boy, John Walker? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's a tough one. Going into our deepest category by nature right there's multiple supporting characters for every single project so this should be the deepest category uh supporting character i'm just going to rattle a few off and then i want to hear you know your guys' thoughts on them because this is my favorite category i think this is what makes phase four as good as it is uh monica rambo and wandavision is a star um yelena belova in hawkeye quick appearance but man it's awesome um sylvie i think another star in her own show um daredevil from She-Hulk? Come on, guys. You tell me I could have picked uh, Yelena twice? Well, yeah. yeah I think Yelena falls <laughs> in the supporting character. I you missed an opportunity, damn it. You only get the Hawkeye in the supporting character. But if you got her in the hero, then yeah, you get all of Yelena. A little double up. Strassing <laughs> <laughs> two quarterbacks, but I don't hate it. Um, yeah. Daredevil is, you know, obviously going to be a huge piece moving forward. Nakia. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o might be the best looking person to ever walk this earth. And then um, I want to shout out Zemo. Zemo, I think we forget how much Zemo was a part of that show and made a huge impact. Um, any other uh, supporting character shout outs here? I got one um, actually from Moon Knight, which we, had, which we mentioned earlier, Layla. I think yeah, she, she, she was she, on my, I really wanted to, to, to mention her, but alas. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was awesome. I can't wait to see where she goes. No, uh, And then, you know, yeah, there's, so there's Layla. And then also my favorite character in the Eternals, uh, Druig. Sure. Uh, I really wanted to give a shout out to, but he just didn't. I had to, you know. He's in a I weird one, right? Very, He's in a yeah. weird one because you almost got to like pick the entire Eternals team if you're going to pick Exactly. Them. But and there's just all. something about him that is just yeah. leagues better for me. I think a lot of it comes from uh, the actor's performance because mm -hmm. on paper, there's not too much to Druig, but I think the actor does a lot with what he gets uh, in his performance that I think makes it truly excel. I think there's a big impact with Druig being the last one they pick up when they get the band back together. Like, like him. Yeah, those scenes are great. Team. Like in that church. Oh yeah. Uh, or whatever you want to call that, uh, that building. Uh, like awesome. Like my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. yeah I got, I got to rewatch Eternals for sure. Um, David, you have any more? We mentioned Jane Foster. Um, yeah. I don't know how you count her, but I thought she was awesome. The star of that movie and just her, her arc in that film. Yeah. I'm worth it. That was really good. Yeah, some of uh, no action scenes from Love and Thunder. Surprising because there's a couple really nope. awesome ones. <laughs> well, was, I'm just curious. I'm curious. Which ones do you think would, would be in contention? Just because I think about the Love and Thunder and there's not a single action scene that pops out. Sure. I think Olympus is awesome. I think that's fun and exciting. And the way that Jane, as soon as she gets the green light to go, just goes. I love that shit. Yeah. That's really <laughs> I funny. I love that to me. too. Um, and then um, I like the splitting up of the hammer. That was a fun, creative oh, yeah. choice. Awesome. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Like, like, 
like we talk about all the time how the MCU is so good with fighting languages. Like, you know, you see Natasha Romanoff on screen, you know she's going to fight differently than someone else. We talked about this in our Wakanda Forever review. I think Shuri fights a little more chaotically than T'Challa did. And I think that makes sense because she's less experienced. She has a little more of a uh, uh, throw it up, see, see what happens kind of mentality where, you know, T'Challa was jujitsu, get on your back and play position, all that stuff. Um, moving over to villain. A um, lot of big names left off the board. We mentioned Gore. We mentioned Agatha. Are there any other shout outs for villain? I have uh, so I have two strong picks uh, that were, you know, right up there with Wenmu. One, I guess, might be, I think they might be unpopular for some people, but the first will be uh, Arthur Haro uh, from Moon Knight, who I think was easily the strongest Disney Plus Marvel villain. Um, wow. I just think he was the most fleshed out. I think his performance was great. Uh, you know, really connected to the hero and his journey. So I think it all played really well. Um, and then shout out to Icarus. Yeah. Um, I think he was, there's a lot of issues with that movie with, you know, their main villain, like the, um, the deviant being truly awful. Uh, but yeah. if you look at Icarus as the villain, which he kind of is in that, in that story, Absolutely. I think he is amazing. Oh, yeah. And then that twist is great. And just, it kind of paints all of his previous actions in a different light. Um, and then, you know, all the emotion that it adds into the family drama in the last scene. I, I, he was he was right up there with Wenwu for me. I think Icarus is really interesting. It makes sense that he's not drafted. You know, we only got the top four, I think. And I think it's a strong four. Um, Wanda from Multiverse of Madness. That, that's who oh, I yeah. was I was struggling with, with Kang. Yeah, not a hero, yeah. Richard. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, mean, I, I, I was going to mention Wanda for sure. I, you just hate Reed Richards, don't you? It hurts. Oh. <laughs> it hurts not having Wanda on my board being the Wanda guy. Um, but I just thought that Kang had a little bit more of a pop. And um, but well, I, I I personally people people are distraught about Wanda's villainous arc in Multiverse of Madness. I find it profound. I, I think it is such a jarring, subverting expectations twist so early in the movie, and then she is truly menacing the rest of that movie. Like, like from the moment she shows up to Kamartage. And gets in that guy's ear and goes, run. Like, it is it it is a horror film at that point. Like, Sam Raimi does villains so well. And I think her handling the Scarlet Witch arc, um, the the biggest, you know, hurdle was making that twist work. And I think it works so well for me, especially coming off the post-credit scene from WandaVision. So, uh, Wanda was my villain mentioned. And Agatha was mentioned as well. No Flag Smashers mentioned here. Interesting. Interesting. See, I liked them uh, up until the finale. I think I think the finale did a lot of damage, and one, you know, people could argue before that they were they were flawed, but um, they were still I, I, like I saw flaws, but you know, it's not quite truly a flaw until they missed the landing because I think that there was stuff that they could have done to really piece it all together. Uh, clearly, they did not. Yeah. Uh, so then they ring as a, like a bad part of, of the project, but that conversation. Yeah, I liked them Carly starting out the game. Out. Yeah. Because yeah, I like them starting out, starting out the show, the series. I was like, okay, these people are a really uh, interesting example of something that might come out of the blip. I think that was like the strongest part. Like this is a really unique consequence of something like that, and they never yeah. did anything more with it. But it's very cool. Now we move on to action scenes. A ton to choose from. Let's bounce around the board. Does anybody have a couple they want to shout out? Richard, I got a couple. I got a couple. The strange on strange music fight. At awesome. the end of Doctor Strange, the I, Looney I mean, Tunes fight, sick. Being the music guy, that hit hit home for me real hard. Seeing the score, you know, the, the music notes bouncing off of each other and everything, and uh, the Daredevil She Hulk fight, yeah, um, from She Hulk, one of the best moments yeah. of that series. 
I mean, that I mean, I wasn't nervous that they weren't going to do Daredevil right in the MCU, but that proved to me that he is in a great, great place coming into the surefire canon MCU. The pace of resistance. I love it. Um, Russ, do you have any action scenes you want to shout out? Yeah, so I have there's two uh that were mentioned that I very uh very, very fond of and are easily in my top uh, five, maybe even top three. But so the first one is the helicopter scene in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't know how it doesn't get talked about uh enough, but it like it's well it started out the show so wonderfully good. and the scene is yeah. so well choreographed and done, especially with it being a Disney Plus series. Um in yeah. a lot of those bigger action sequences, it's like, oh, this this CGI could be a little better. I didn't see really any flaws in the, the helicopter stuff, and it was just intense. It was well done. Uh, and then the second one, which I, I really wanted to be my first one, but I had to go with Liberty, but Yelena and Kate from Hawkeye. Hell it's yeah. Brief, yeah. But it's the dynamic between the two added with the fight that really makes it like this is one of the best moments in Phase 4. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yelena's line, you know, stop making me like you, and she's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What was that? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> It's very, very good. Uh, David, do you have any action fights you want to shout out? I think we've covered pretty much all of them. I, I do have, did we, did we mention uh, Namor and Shuri at the end? So, no, no, no we did no. not. So, um, that's, so, I consider drafting that one. So I guess that'd be my honorable mention because I think that's one of the best fights in the MCU we've had in phase four. Just that, that gritty hand hand, just them two, just that hand hand combat there. I thought it was just such a, an awesome moment. Yeah, that Brutal. boat stuff was really disappointing. <laughs> I, I think yeah, both stuff was fine. Like can the the, the I talk about the oh, I'm sorry. What? Well, can I the talk editing. Yes. Yeah, so the editing. Uh, fun. I don't know if you guys saw the the film in IMAX. I did. But gorgeous. It, it the movie really suffers in the last act because of their editing choice, and really, I guess the, you know the script uh, didn't line up as well as they thought because they filmed the Shiri or they filmed the boat stuff with IMAX cameras, and they filmed the Shiri and Namor stuff just with regular ratio. So in IMAX, the movie is cutting really fast between these two. So the oh, screen is just switching back and forth, which is, it always yeah, does that in IMAX movies, but usually you don't have two scenes cutting back and forth so often. Exactly. Um, but it was here. And then, yeah, the, the boat stuff, I think, was was really weak compared to the Shiri and, and uh, Namor fight, which was really strong. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I just didn't like how quickly we cut between so many different characters. Um not 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 even just between the beach fight and the boat fight, so many different characters within the boat fight. You know what I mean? You don't fight, get yeah. a lot of Nakia. You don't get a lot of Okoye. Um Why was her outfit so crazy? I still don't know why it was all bright green and blue. I'm like, this is <laughs> Oh no, I love it. I like it, but it's truck. such an interesting is is that their color? I think uh, I had someone else try to point that out, but I don't remember their colors being those vibrant green and blues. Yeah, is that, is that what it is? They're 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 less blue in the first one, but she's wearing less clothes in the first one. Um, what I liked about her uh suit specifically with the bright green and blue, it's a wetsuit. Like it's not yeah. armor, it's not tactical, it's a, it's a wetsuit. Yeah, yeah. The river I, truck. That's cool as hell. <laughs> I, like I don't just to, you know to clear it up. I don't dislike it. I just found I always question like this Sorry. is a crazy design and there's no real like the movie doesn't address it at all. She just for happens to have like, this crazy <laughs> combat outfit. Yeah, for a spy. Um, I will say leaving I think leaving Wanda off of villain is gonna be our biggest flack. I think leaving um moon knight off of series hero is going to be our biggest flack our action scene miss the one i was between with eternals and icarus the highway fight from black panther wakanda forever with akoye oh, versus yeah. the Tolkien's. that's awesome. actually my, that's actually my favorite action scene from that movie me too 
it's it, it is dirt nasty man it's and, and it's a koi at her best and that's why a lot of people including me don't like the midnight angel switch because it takes away what makes a koi awesome she's just better than you like always like like yeah she <laughs> yeah. loses that fight but she proves she can go toe-to-toe with metahumans Ooh, that is saying metahumans on a Marvel draft. Um, but uh, it, it it's just <laughs> such a great example of a Koye and that one scene where he clotheslines her into the freaking spear and she has to pop her arm back and socket. It out of here, man. Brutal. Yes. Um, the Wanda murder fight in Multiverse of Madness is another one I think is fucking sick. Um yeah. that I really love. Um so, yeah, guys, that has been our phase four draft. If you're listening, please head over to the MCU Direct Twitter page and vote. We'll have it up tomorrow. So today, right? Time of recording kind of thing. Um, and let us know what we missed. There's a lot here we didn't draft. We could do this draft over again, taking all of these uh, picks out and probably have another pretty decent draft, maybe switching around a few categories. But um, uh, Rich, Russ, thank you so much for joining us. Richard, what are you working on right now at the direct.com? Oh man, a bunch of stuff. I'm actually working on oh, a big, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just finished up a uh, everything that Black Panther two sets up for the MCU future uh, feature that should be out hopefully in the next couple of days. And then I'm also working on another really fun feature that I thought up, um, analyzing like the central themes of Phase Four yeah. um, that go through like all the different projects and stuff and kind of connects everything. And um, obviously, I'm writing regular new stuff every day. And uh, I'm at, at Richard Nebbins on Twitter if you want to find me there. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a phase. What a way to close out this phase and can't wait for more soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Russ. I want to know what you're working on, but also what news story are you most excited about that's happening right now in the universes you love? Oh, well, um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is right now I'm playing through God of War Ragnarok. Let's go. Uh, which I love. Uh, it's nice. a very long game. <laughs> it seems I think I'm like 21 hours uh, into it, and Man. I don't feel like I'm even at the halfway point. I mean, I might be, but I've specifically not looked up how long, how many chapters there are. But I'm really enjoying that. Um, and then I'm I'm also reading uh, the Star Wars High Republic books, which I am almost all caught up with uh, after like months and months of of work catching up. But those are great as well, so I recommend those. That's awesome. uh, and then yeah, when it comes to what I'm working on, just news news articles uh, uh, per Richard, uh, what what he said. But I don't have any uh, no features right now, but I will eventually. Yes, yeah. yes, we will. Russ, we will all get back. In those Russ writes damn near or sometimes more than I do, which is pretty impressive. Russ is <laughs> Russ is worthy of the machine nickname, also. Sure, no, the I, machines I mean, plural. Well, yes, I, I want to give you an encyclopedia drop, but we also have Pierre out there who is just he. Oh, I yeah. feel like he has he's a great. He's a good of every panel that he references. <laughs> Seriously, no, yeah. But if, if, if I ever have a change. question for like something specific that I feel could be quick, because he knows everything, right? It's like yeah. okay, I'm just going to ask Pierre, and he could probably give me the answer quicker than me looking through several yeah. pages and wiki pages. It's incredible um, how quickly he has something to reference. It's awesome. He's awesome. We got to get him on this so, show. Um, yeah, literally. Guys, Pierre and I worked together before we even got to the direct. Oh, no shit. Um, over Luminary, at MCU right? Exchange. Uh, MCU Exchange, actually. Oh, okay. Me, Pierre, and Aaron all came from there. Love and that. he was the exact same way there. Shout out both those guys. Well, there we go. Guys, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you next time here on the direct podcast, David, next week and or finale. <laughs>